is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yonk, huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, the Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, the fan. Wet Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? Uh-oh. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. July 3rd, 2019, Year of Our Lord edition. Sans Rodak. He is gone. He got in his moving truck and... Oh, he's actually gone, gone. He is gone. Wow. He's on the road somewhere, I guess. I wonder if he's regretting it yet. (laughs) Yeah, he left yesterday. Yeah, yesterday was the day. Yeah. He's probably in, like, Pittsburgh. That's side far of the road. Got, yeah. They got a baby with them. They got a little baby with them. So it, that that's going to determine how long it takes. Unless they flew. I know that they were moved. I guess like the cars have to get there though. I, I don't know how in, how elaborate they got with the move. Oh, Mike, if you're listening on the twelve seventy the fan app, give us a call. Let us know how the move's going. He'll just text us and tell us, and it'll be in a sarcastic. Feet around the bush way. Yes, in a, in photo form. Oh, here he's he's texting us right now. Very nice. <laughs> not, Chris Baker. Uh, not us, you. Chris Baker uh, at Sabers Prospects. He's in studio with us for the whole time. Thanks for coming in. Talk about what the Sabers are doing in free agency. We haven't had a chance to review your thoughts on the draft, development camp, all that stuff. Yeah, there's some things to talk about when when the time is right. No, I think we're going to get into it pretty quickly here. Well, the time is now then. Jonah Bronstein's here from Bronstein Enterprises. Your one enterprise stop, reporter. Your one stop sports writing superstore. Bronstein, Jonah, and Bronstein. Bobby Rosati on the board today. Handling things. We have a lot of calls coming Just in today. today. Uh, we have guests. John Warrow from the Associated Press is going to come on and talk about his exclusive interview that he had with Terry and Kim Pagula out in Vancouver at the NHL draft. And uh, he hasn't uh, had a chance to speak about that yet because Jerry Sullivan is on vacation. John Waro normally appears uh, or visits with Jerry Sullivan once a week, and that didn't happen. So he's going to come and talk about it here on the Tim Graham Show. Scott Farrell, Farrell on the bench for CBS yeah. Sports Radio. He's going to be on a little bit later, give his thoughts on whatever he wants, really. Shake I mean, it up. Yager, <laughs> shalager. My buddy from Vegas. I always like to visit with Scotty. He does has he like me on when, his show. Does he like when people impersonate him? You know, I've never tried, mm. really. First off, it hurts. Yeah, I know. It hurts my throat oh, to yeah. do. I used to love his uh, Pittsburgh Penguins call. But also, it's I just I would assume that it would not be yeah. fun. No. So I just Bagging never move. tried. Kicking the ball, nine with a knee. All right, I won't do it then. No, fine. <laughs> no, do I, it. No, I was no, just no. wondering. I don't care. No, that's that's sour shoes. I don't care. I'll do it. Do not pour one out for the Jim Beam warehouse today because enough has been poured out. 45,000 barrels of Jim Beam bourbon. No. Warehouse caught on fire. And uh, a lot of the 
runoff has ended up in the Kentucky River. 45,000 barrels is the equivalent of about 6.75 million bottles of Jim Beam. Good Lord. Fire started last night around 1130, and they think it's from a lightning strike. (sighs) Wow. So do not pour one out for Jim Beam because there might be a shortage. (laughs) It's going to be real. It's going to be good to trade for. You can make a lot of money off it. Chris Baker. You a bourbon guy? Mm-mm. No, no. I mean, I mean, it depends how late in the I evening know what it is. You dr- I know what you drink when we're together, but yeah. I don't know that you... I, I like bourbons a lot. I don't drink... I don't think you've I, I've ever had a bourbon with you either. I'm not that sophisticated. I like it. Yeah. No. Doesn't work for me. Are you just going to hit sounds throughout the show, Bob? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm finding, uh, finding our tone. <laughs> All right. But I appreciate like Jim Beam's importance to America, especially on this patriotic weekend that we're or week that we're in right now. That's right. It's a shame. It's a shame. State of Kentucky in mourning. I wonder though if the other bourbons down there in Kentucky are happy about this. <laughs> I don't know. Is like is there a rivalry among the bourbons? Is it a is it a family type thing? There is the famous bourbon trail in Kentucky where people go and make the tours to Woodford Reserve, to Buffalo Trace, to Yeah, they're working overtime out. at uh, Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark is a big one. Yeah. Yes. A lot of wax being dropped on bottles tonight, I have a feeling. There's Bobby. <laughs> What's your thoughts so far on the Sabres free agency? And it's pretty much, I mean, there may be a signing or two, a, a trade or two, but I think here we are, what, three days into it? This is pretty much, we, we can size it up. Generally what happens uh, when it comes to free agency periods, and obviously you take a look at the NBA and Kawhi Leonard uh, shoe still needs to drop. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's not a Betsy Ross shoe. It's a New Balance shoe. Is it? I believe. Uh, um, no, Tim, I mean, with the Sabres, it's incomplete. We can, di- we can digest yeah. what the Sabres have done. I think so. Yeah, so... Um, there's more, they have more to do. I mean, if you look at what they've done, they really brought in what two roster players, one via trade with Vegas, a defenseman, Colin Miller, who will be a top four, but in, in free agency, they brought in uh, another player via trade, Jimmy Vesey, will, who will probably be on the roster. The other guys that they brought in were depth, you know, organizational depth signings, Jean Sebastian D, Curtis Lazar. John Gilmore, a defenseman, Andrew Hammond, a goaltender who's going to be the number three, who'll be there, you know, hopefully to groom Lukanen when he's healthy next year in Rochester. So, you know, if you're looking for this radical change to the roster, they have more work to do. They have a lot of defensemen right now that, you know, Jason Bodrell is going to have to keep working the phones, you know. And I think, you know, here we are, by the way, on the 16th anniversary of the Chris Drury trade to Buffalo, July 3rd, 2003. So it's it's kind of from a historical perspective, you know, that's how they've always done well in July is by making trades. Jeff Skinner was an August trade last year. So I think the moral here is that they built up depth for fringe players. So if you're looking to trade out some of those fourth line guys that they had on the roster last year, create competition for some of those spots, they've done that. They've replaced maybe some scoring that you're going to lose in Rochester if Olafson makes the team next year. And maybe they replaced Pilots production in Rochester with Gilmore. John Gilmore is a very fast, uh, offensive-minded defenseman. He's probably a Rochester guy. But the funny thing is, Tim, is that they're paying all of these guys. All the deals are one-way deals. They're all making 700000 They re-signed C.J. Smith yesterday. One year, 
or he got two, I think, 700000 And that's a form of overpaying. It is. Because you want to get these guys within the organization uh, rather than save the money for when they would be down in Rochester. We're going to go ahead and pay you an NHL wage. While you're down there, go try to get that from any other team, and these guys probably aren't going to find it. So they know that, look, if I'm a tweener player, if I'm going to spend time between the big club and the AHL, I might as well get paid an NHL wage while I'm on the buses. It's going to be some happy guys. And I think what that does, too, is that it, it... it helps preserve the attitude level when you do send guys down, because some guys have been dispatched down there. They're like, "Oh man, I was making seven hundred up in Buffalo. Now I'm making eighty down here, and it's just not the same." Their attitude—they sulk. Maybe there's a little bit of that where they can help the attitude when they have to send guys down, and that's better for obviously having those veteran guys, or at least you know guys that are not you know nineteen, twenty years old playing down there. It helps them uh, develop players with a better attitude, set a better example for the younger guys. So. How much, Chris, do you think this was a strategic approach to the free agent period, and how much of it is maybe the Sabres' inability to make big splash signings right now? Well, I think some of the bigger fish this year, like if you looked, I think they wanted to talk to Pavelski, and I don't think he wanted to talk to them. I mean, some of these guys were last ditch. They want to be on a contender, and the Sabres aren't a contender right now. Um, So I think there was a little bit of that. I think this was I think they kind of knew what they were getting into. I think that they they knew that they had to make trades to get better. They weren't really going to be a player cuz if they were, they might have had to overpay. They know they have to pay Rasmus Dahlin coming up in a couple of years and he's going to get a significant raise from what he's making right now, trust me. But um I think they didn't want to put themselves in a crippling spot in 2 years down the line. So I think they played it conservatively yet wisely. Um, knowing that they're going to make some trades. And here's the other thing, too, is I think now that the the big dominoes have kind of started to fall in free agency, agents are going to be on the phone talking to teams that maybe one of their clients got bumped down the ladder a little bit, and that might create trade opportunities for Botterill. All right, so those are ways that you're answering my question here that I was going to pose by saying, let's not get too worked up about the fact that the Sabres haven't done anything yet. And you mentioned the 16th anniversary of the jury trade, which, <laughs> boy... How stunned was he? I covered that news conference. I recall uh, being uh, brought down to the arena uh, for the trade for the news conference and the, the conference call it was, really, with him. And he was at a barbecue. He was at a family event. And you could hear it in his voice. He was just stunned. You know, here he is going to Buffalo. As much as he fell in love with it and had great success with, with Buffalo, here's a guy who was with Colorado, with Calgary. And he's thinking, man, I'm a good player. How come nobody wants me? And really, it was teams did want it. Yeah. And uh, but, anyways, he ends up in Buffalo on a team that was fresh off bankruptcy, uh, and as a big part uh, to to building uh, something totally new. But my long-winded uh, preamble, Chris, uh, how much anxiety though should they have? I know that you're saying things could happen. There are possibilities for trades, other free agency moves. So uh, there still could be. Um, other moves to be made that will let us look back and say this was uh, a really good free agency class. This was a dud. This was a nothing. Um, but what's the likelihood of that happening? So, you know, the junk that I take from a lot of people is that is, I'm always just like, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's where I'm at right now with this team is that um, I don't think you need the sense of urgency to make a deal just to make a deal. We know that they're looking to trade Rasmus Ristolainen. So I think that there's something to this whole deal that they could make with Winnipeg. Winnipeg needs a right-shot defenseman right now. They just lost Tyler Myers. They lost Jacob Truba. Myers went to Vancouver via free agency. Truba was a trade. 
Um, there could be an opportunity there to maybe swap Ristolainen for a player like Nikolai Ehlers. They were both top 10 draft picks, drafted very similar positions. Ehlers would be an amazing injection of offensive wing talent that this team so desperately needs. And I think that Ristolainen, who takes a lot of crap from Sabres fans, you know, he, was, he had the green jacket last year, minus 33, you know, <laughs> and he, um, he's he been a, a minus player on a very bad team, though. He's been miscast here just because he's not a guy that should be playing 26, 27 minutes a night. But I think that he could be a very serviceable player when put in the right spot. He could be a serviceable player in Buffalo. I wonder how much hesitancy there is from the Sabres to trade Ristolainen, given the um, the fear of what he's going to do somewhere else. And it reminds me of when everyone knew that the that the Bills had to trade Marshawn Lynch. They had they had just drafted C.J. Spiller. Fred Jackson was a thousand yard running back, and here they had Marshawn Lynch. Uh, they go into the season still with him on the roster. Uh, there was a belief of, uh, I think they couldn't pull the trigger because they knew what they were going to get in return was middling, uh, that he had all the leverage, uh, or that the Bills had none anyway. Really, the team that was trying to acquire him knew that he was on his way out, that the Bills wanted to unload him. And Buddy Nix knew that wherever Marshawn Lynch went, he was going to produce, look good, and make this and make the Bills look silly. And those happen sometimes. Ryan uh, O'Reilly. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, he, definitely. He forced the uh, Sabres' hand with what he said when he said it. Uh, it created a, a public relations problem that would have been a distraction throughout that offseason going into the next. Uh, and as much as Sabres fans want to bitch about that trade now, a healthy percentage of Sabres fans said, this guy's got to be gone now. I don't want him on my team anymore. I don't want guys like this. Get him gone, which is kind of the sentiment you get with Ristolainen, mm-hmm. too, by the way. But it's a dangerous thing, and I think the Sabres knew that they were kind of handcuffed with with Ryan O'Reilly. So with Ristolainen, uh, it's it, similar, you know, obviously not exact, uh, but a similar sentiment, I, I think, to we have to maximize what we get because this guy's going to go somewhere else. He's somewhere else. He's going to be in a situation where he doesn't have to be the number one defenseman. Uh, he can be uh, a component. He can be a complimentary player, not have as much pressure on, on a team that wins, on a team where he can blend in a little bit more and not be noticed uh, or, or um, uh, under the microscope on a nightly basis, and be himself and grow and do whatever it is that he needs to do on a team that is a little bit more well-rounded uh, and will probably come away looking pretty good. Botterill gave himself a cushion to make a trade. That he didn't have last year, by the way. Okay, and we'll talk about that in a second. But he gave himself the cushion to trade Ristolainen. And get it, he's going to get a good return. He's not going to trade him for a bag of pucks. That's not happening. Um, by getting Colin Miller. And, you know, he has Darlene here. He has, um, he picked up Montour last year. Burned a first-round pick to get Montour. He has guys. He's insulated to maybe move Ristolainen. Where last year, he didn't have that cushion to trade O'Reilly. He didn't have another center that could do what O'Reilly did for the team. He has guys that could replace some of the things that Ristolainen does. What you don't have on the roster right now is, you know, Ristolainen will get in Kucherov's head. He toys with Ovechkin whenever they play the Capitals. He goes against the top offensive player. That's attractive to a team, by the way, like Tampa Bay, who just got smoked in the playoffs by Columbus because they couldn't deal with the forecheck, and they had no attitude to, to stand up to Josh Anderson and all these other guys at the Blue Jackets. And that right there is a luxury for the Sabres because how often those are clutch type things. Yeah, you'd need those players eventually, but right now where they are, 
They're not going to be in a playoff series where you can leverage that skill set right now. Exactly. So I I see a a better. So to answer your question, you know, and I hate to keep comparing to football or whatever, but it's like the kick returner. Like, you know what we need is a dangerous uh, kick returner. Oh, really? Well, you're four and 12. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, you you can't maybe get a guy that can catch. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe get a slot guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I'm with you. I think. But to answer your question, I think that it's a different scenario this year with moving wrist line and just because of what he's built already. He has a lot of NHL defensemen, and he's got a heck of a right shot defenseman that can do a lot of what Ristolainen does in Will Borgen. Now, he might not be ready yet, but he plays the same way. You know, he's prickly. He's tough. Prickly berry? Yeah. Mm. Prickleberry? Yeah, nasty no. flavor. Yeah, oh, is it bad? Yeah, yeah bad. All right, well, because you had that last time I was here. Yeah. But um, no, he finally so, got rid of it, I think, just last week or the week before. Yeah. He finally got Burned rid it all out. Bobby, Bobby, vaked, Bobby vaked up all his prickly berry. That, uh, out of disgust. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, no, I think that it's a different scenario this year. But, I, but you know, going back to the team construction and all the work that Jason Bodrell does, you have that out there with Ristolainen. And maybe there's still, you know, Florida just paid $10 million for a goalie. And I think they're another team that maybe That's could crazy. use a Ristolainen. Um, now, I don't know if there's credibility to the rumor out there that he, you know, that, that the Sabres were looking at maybe a Mike Hoffman type of player who is super fast, can produce offense, it doesn't seem like Ristolainen would be maybe the guy. I don't know. Maybe he is the guy in that deal. Maybe it's Jake McCabe. Point is that it, there's a defenseman that's probably going to get shipped out. But I'll say this right now. I would hate to see Jake McCabe be the defenseman that Botterill trades. I think that that guy is actually one of those warrior types that just blends in. I think he could wear a letter for this team. I know there's a lot of folks that disagree, and that's fine. But, I mean, I would hate to see him be the guy that goes when I think Ristolainen actually wants to go. Chris Baker of the Athletic. Happy to have him as a teammate and drinking buddy. I'm happy to. I'm just yeah, same thing. Uh, all of the above. Yeah. Athletic. Yeah, you know what? Athletic teammates and, and drinking buddies are pretty synonymous. Yeah, right. Um, we just had another little uh, rendezvous over the weekend in we celebration did. of another one. Matthew mm. Fairburn got married down oh, in Ellicottville. Yeah. How was it? Well, it was a good time was had by most. Yeah, most? By most. So there were a few stragglers. Rodak was drinking a coffee. <laughs> so was I before I had to drive home. I thought you, you did. Okay, okay because truly. I was trying to be a responsible. But I did a, I, I, I front-loaded my contract. <laughs> That's true. When we come back, we're going to talk about Sabres Development Camp. Fun. You were out there. Yeah. Uh, get your thoughts on uh, what you saw, uh, what you liked, uh, maybe some concerns that you have. Coming up on the show, we're also going to have John Ward, the Associated Press, to talk about his exclusive interview with Terry and Kim Pagula. Scott Farrell from Farrell on the Bench, CBS Sports Radio. He's going to be with us. And, um, and somebody else that you might want to tune into. Because it's one of those deals where I... I cast a, a net today for some guests. There's one that we might be having that I don't want to say yet because I'm not 100% sure, right. but I'm fairly certain. Jonas Jurebko? <laughs> we're still waiting on that guy. Yeah, we're still waiting to hear from Jonas Jurebko. <laughs> Hello, boy. Oh. Bobby, can you pull down the music for yes, a second? Yes, I sure can. Let's see if we can get uh, Russ Brandon on the phone. Uh, hold on. I gotta, let me get, to the, get the phone going. Hold on. Thank you for calling New Era Cap. If you know your party's extension, please dial it now. For a company directory by name, press star. For the yeah, spell see, the last and first name, then press pound. For e- Q, press 7. R- for A- Z, press 9. 
For help, press zero. For Russ Brandon at extension pound to cancel, press star. Wait while I transfer your call. Sorry, Russ Brandon is not available. Record your message. One of these, one of these days, he's going to pick up. Hang up or press pound for more options. Every time we call, he's just he's not there. One of these. I have questions for him too. (laughs) I got like five or six on my phone here, my notepad written down. Russ. All right. We'll see who we can get on the horn uh, later on in the show here. But when we come back, more from Chris. Oh, we just heard a drop there from Eric Wood. I checked in with him. Oh, how's he doing? Well, he's swimming in the Kentucky River. (laughs) (laughs) He's skinny dipping in the Kentucky River. All right. Maybe we'll get get some thoughts from Eric Wood, too, in the show about uh, if he's going to be okay. (laughs) If he's going to need to see a therapist. Uh Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. And on the Fans app. Free to download in the App Store. Now back to the Tim Graham Show. the hell is this found a treasure trove of these weird mashups of like temptations and black sabbath and b-52 how about dread zeppelin have you heard them no dread zeppelin was big i mean they were well big enough that they were on like letterman and Mm -hmm. they made the rounds and they they you'd get airplay but this was back in the 80s they were elvis songs lyrics to Led Zeppelin music, right? Is mm-hmm. that what it was? And like a reggae, yeah, like with a reggae, reggae funk. style, yeah, like yeah. a ska version yeah. of, yeah. But the like, Elvis impersonator was like the front man. Yes, and great. And everybody was had a. It was like pro wrestling doing karaoke on acid. I mean, who wouldn't want to listen to that? <laughs> I had to process that for a second. I was like. I am That's Tim Graham good. from The Athletic here with uh, my athletic teammate, Chris Baker. You can follow him on Twitter at Sabres Prospects. Jonah Bronstein's here from Bronstein Consolidated, where you can pick up all your sports writing freight products, importing and exporting. Oh, that's tools. what it is. Yeah. Zeppelin. Zeppelin songs sung like Elvis. With a little yeah. dreadnought. Wow. That's good stuff, man. And that looks like, that's a show you're playing there. Is that Letterman? Uh, looks like they're on Letterman. or something. They're on a stage there. Uh, no, it doesn't say. It probably is, though. We used to sell a lot. So I worked in record stores my in my younger days. You did? We used to sell a lot of Dread Zeppelin. At the local, Stoners? the largest local independent record shop in Buffalo. I think I can say it now. Yeah, you can say any of this stuff. Record theater. It's out of yeah. business oh, anyway. I was a record theater. Yeah, it's gone. I'm a record theater alum. That's Alumnus. Awesome. Which one? Oh, well, all of them pretty much, but there was a couple, well, yeah, Hamburg for the most part. Hamburg for the most part. Started there December 7th, 1993, the day... After, no, December 8th. December 7th was Rage Against Machine, Cypress Hill, 
uh, Funk Dubiest and Seven Year Bitch at UB, and then I started at Record Theater the next day. That's weird, because Rage Against the Machine and Cypress Hill are together in a band now. Yeah. Is, is working odd. at a record store as romantic as the movies would have you believe? Because record stores are a pretty common setting for, yeah. especially movies in the 80s and 90s. There are a lot of you know, what are called, what are considered, you know, cult classics that take place in record stores. Um, it, it set what was me it back. Like? I mean, what, like, <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the culture like? I'll tell you. I mean, there was. Um, you know, you have a break room in the back, and that's where all the partying goes on. So, you know, you would, uh, we, it was fun, okay? But it was almost too fun. Like, I didn't get a, my first real job until I was probably like 26 years old because I just, like, didn't want to leave that whole culture of just hanging out. Suspended adolescence? I think so. I think so. Like, even when I went down to D.C., I went to the University of Maryland down there. I've Like, the first thing I did was I hopped on the Metro, went down to D.C., and found a job at a record store, you know, just because it was so comfy and easy and, you know, you become, it, it's fun though too, you know, because you have, everyone's different, you know, everyone likes their own little uh, genre of music. Yeah. You're always battling over what to load the CD changer with back in the day, you know, but there was a lot of partying, a lot of partying on work hours, after hours. Was sure. it allowed with, <laughs> with management? And I'm not, this isn't, I don't want you to impugn the folks no, at Record right. Theater, but was it encouraged no or? no it wasn't encouraged it was a uh, you know on your lunch breaks or if you had a cool manager that's kind of knew what you're up to and you weren't really promoting it yeah there was it was fun as long as you got your job done you weren't careless about yeah, it. yeah as long as you like you know took out the the nail polish remover and cleaned those yellow cards and you know wrote really legibly with a sharpie you know dread zeppelin you know but yeah no it's the easiest job it's a great job fun job I always used to go in the record stores at the mall, you know, wherever they were, and I would just like looking at the album art mm -hmm. is what I would do. You didn't do that, obviously, once cassettes came by. You didn't go to the rack and, and take a look at the little baseball card-sized front of the, the cassette, but you yeah. want to go see, and then occasionally there would might be something in there that you'd never uh, come across before. Mm -hmm. I'd always used to go and check out the Scorpions was one of mine. Like, hey, is there anything in here from Germany? Maybe an import? Sometimes stuff like that would slip in mm -hmm. and... You know, the Van Halen. I was always checking out a handful of bands. It was a good uh, It was a good run. It was good a good times. run. Now, that was, and by the way, that whole thing, that was my experience working in that industry. I can't say for sure that everyone Had that was just fun. partying out. Yeah. You know, I don't want to maybe misrepresent. Uh, you only caught me with a joint. Rest in peace, Jared Lorenzen. Got up to over 500 pounds. Had a lot of health issues, as you would imagine, but the former University of Kentucky quarterback, who was known as the Pillsbury Throwboy, he ate me. The battleship. The, the battleship. The abominable throw man. The round mound of touchdown. <laughs> J-Load hmm. is gone. That's a good and one. I'm not doing it to make fun of him. But some great nicknames. But he embraced his size, the fact that he was, was gonna say, so large. That was his thing. He was he liked being uh he was in on the joke. He was fine with it. Thirty eight years old. Thirty eight years old. Yeah, he was uh he was hospitalized recently and then we just got uh, news while we were in the commercial break. Uh, a statement was uh, put out by his family that uh that he has died at only thirty eight. 
And uh, he was a phenomenon when he was at Kentucky. A lot of people wondering if he'd be drafted and because of his size. But he was prolific. Mm -hmm. And one of those guys that clearly uh, was able to light it up at the college level. But everybody knew, all right, this isn't going to be able to exist in the National Football League. Uh, Didn't get drafted in 2004 instead, but uh, signed with the New York Giants and uh, bounced around a little bit and uh, ended up playing uh, in the arena leagues and ultimate indoor football league and just trying to last as long as he could, have fun throwing the throwing the Duke, spent some time with the uh, Indianapolis Colts. He was with the Giants mm-hmm. for a handful of seasons. Uh, it wasn't just a cup of coffee. He uh, Eli was there, right? Was yeah. he there when Kurt Warner? He would have been, yes. Yeah. So Jared Lorenzen, gone too soon at the age of 38. Back to the Sabres, Chris. We have you here in studio. We don't want to waste uh, the listeners' time by talking about other things, although they're saying no. More Lorenzen. (laughs) Your thoughts on Sabres development camp. You were out there at Harbor Center. Uh, It ran uh, late last week and into the weekend. I think Saturday was the last day. I know you went out there. Uh, What did you spy with your little eye? You know, it's uh, well. I'm a goalie guy, so I think the first thing that I noticed, obviously, was their third round pick, 67th overall, this kid Eric Portillo, six uh, six. See, now I want to always give the Spanish pronunciation. Wow. I want to call him Portillo. Portillo. Yeah. Hey, Portillo. You know, you know. And then he can claim to be uh, the first Hispanic, whatever yeah. goalie. Like, yeah. Well, I. Th- there've been others. Has it? Roberto Luongo. Manny Fernandez. He's Canadian though, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, Manny Fernandez. But I mean, Portillo right? is yeah, Swedish, yeah. so oh damn, you know, well, it's like Zabanajad. Right, he's Swedish, right? Who knew? <laughs> but um, no, I think uh, you know, he he kind of stands out to you because he's huge, you know, and I like the, that. the the Sabers clearly like large goaltenders, and um, you know, it's funny there was a lot of chatter going into the draft that they were maybe hot on Spencer Knight as a first round pick, and I think there's some legitimacy to the that chatter, but um. You know, he was he was a guy that stands out. I think that some of the other guys there, I mean, Dylan Cousins, obviously, I mean, everyone wants to talk about him. Um, what an amazing set of hands this kid has. Really? You know, now keep in mind, it's development camp, and I do want to sure. temper everyone's enthusiasm. It's it's summer hockey. A lot of it's drill work. As I, You know, we used to go to development camp, and it was up at uh, Niagara. It used to be at the Northtown Center before it was at Niagara. There would be like five of us nerds there, you know, looking through the foggy glass in the <laughs> summer. And it doesn't... I think through time, it tells you less and less about Now you do that players. at the adult theater. I do. I do. Pee Wee Baker. It's foggy. But, um, <laughs> but no, I think um, Cousins, actually, I think anyone who just wanted to see him skate and his skill set, his hands, his technical skills, I think came away really impressed. This kid is a right-handed shot. Um, he just does some great, great things with the puck. Has a really tight handle. You can see the, the all the pieces are in place for this kid to be a, a contributor at the NHL level quickly. And again, I'm just talking about how development camp doesn't tell you a lot about a player, but you have to understand, I've also watched Cousins for the past two years, and he's just dominated against kids his age. Not all are his size. He's over 6'3". He's 185 pounds. So when this kid is going to be, his fighting weight is going to be 205, 207, somewhere around there. He's going to be dynamite. Sabre's got a really good player there. The rest, you know, a lot of... Um, you know, I think we didn't see Aaron Huglin, who was their fourth-round pick. Um, you know, Setterquist. They took a lot of guys that also were in their second year of draft eligibility. They have a lot of talent. They're getting a little bit smaller, faster, 
if there's a theme, that's kind of what you're getting at. They're getting smaller, they're getting faster, they're getting more skilled. So they're sacrificing size to get speed and skill. And I think a lot of that will come to fruition as they as they go down the line. I mean, like this kid Hugelin that they drafted that didn't play. I mean, he's 5'10", 165. These are 18-year-old kids we're talking about. Now, you one know. of the headliners from the development camp, because he has so much NHL experience, was Tage Thompson. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he was swarmed on his uh, on the first day there by media and, and asked a lot of questions. And, of course, the uh, first time that anybody's had a chance to talk to him since the St. Louis Blues win the Stanley Cup. But since he's on everybody's mind, your thoughts on Tage Thompson and and what how he projects for the Sabres heading it, let's say, for next season, because it was... Uh, a situation for him where a lot of folks thought that he should have been in Rochester. What's the point of keeping him up here? But the point of keeping a guy up here, if if you're looking for a positive, is a little trial by fire. Let's uh, get him ready to go. What do you think the forecast is for him next season? I think there's going to be a lot of uh, talent coming in uh, that it's, he's going to really have to work hard to make the team out of camp. I think the Sabres want him to make the team out of camp. He can he doesn't have to go through waivers. He can go down if he needs a little bit more time to develop. Um, you know, he's an interesting guy because I think if he can just figure out that he's big and strong and he plays like it, he'll be fine. If he starts to assert his physicality a little bit more to win battles and also not play, not be in a system where he's forced to play man on man defense like he was chasing the play so much last year in his own end you could see him thinking you never want to see a player think especially a young one so you know I think long-term outlook I think he's really compelling just because of his shot he's got a great handle on the puck he needs to maybe stop doing all the toe drag stuff and rely on lower your shoulder and become more of a bull once that light goes on for him I think he's gonna be fine and that's typical for a guy his age that's not as though uh, well they ruined him you know, they, yeah. they, you know, there's uh, they should have just uh, left him down there. And now what is he's uh, it's not like uh, drafting a quarterback and, and putting him behind a line that can't block like David Carr or something like that. You know, some at hockey's uh, you can benefit. Let's see what he does with this added experience. He should feel like he doesn't belong at this development camp after playing as as many NHL minutes as he did. Yeah. I mean, I look at him and it's. He's just another one of these really young, exciting guys that they have. I'm not down on him because of him not coming in last year and just like lighting the world on fire. I still look at him that he's in that, even though he has NHL game experience, significant NHL game experience, he's still a young, almost like a prospect to me in a way where you still have to work with him a little bit. What he is today isn't what he's going to be tomorrow. Can't say that about all the other guys. Like they're picking up Jimmy right, Vesey. I think what Jimmy Vesey is, right. like what, like who he was last year, is who you're getting next year. Yeah. That's not how it is with Tage Thompson. That's how I look at him. Just yeah. me. That's I why I made sure to use yeah. the word uh, forecast. Yeah. How does he forecast next yeah. year? How does he project? Because uh, there is still a little. There's room. Uh, there's a guess. Uh, there's hopefully he gets better. I think the problem is, is that when you see a kid that's six five, you want to um, juxtapose that frame with power forward i'm using finger quotes mm-hmm. and he's not going to be a power forward he needs to bring taylor elements pyatt. Oh, same way taylor, taylor pyatt was all about speed but could never figure out how to play big <laughs> right. do you know what i mean yeah except yeah right. I, don't, like actually, he was I don't even want to go there it's going to bring right. up bad memories but yeah. um he has to have elements of that emerge though situationally you know but he's still a finesse guy he's got great hands he's mm-hmm. always had a lot of space Taylor Pyatt wasn't drafted to be that, though. Taylor Pyatt was drafted to be Cam Neely. 
Yeah, and, that's true. Uh, that's that's true. what drove people crazy is because, well, guess what? He wasn't that kind of player. He didn't have the didn't have the stomach for it. It just wasn't his thing. He wasn't really a big game player either. Even no, he, I mean he was a, he, left. He, he was a he was a good player. Yeah. I mean he was a good complimentary player. Third. But yeah, he just didn't become what everybody hoped. And he had the bloodlines with his dad being a former player. Yep. Yeah. All right, we're going to talk to John Morrow when we come back after this break. Uh, John Wara from the Associated Press had an exclusive interview with uh, Terry and Kim Pagula out at the NHL draft in Vancouver a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we're going to talk about that. By the way, before we hit this commercial break, Jared Lorenzen weighed 288 pounds at the Combine. So that was probably him slimming down, getting in shape, ready to go. Yeah, yeah. And 288 pounds, ran a 5.2840. I think that's good for 288 pounds. Yeah. That's very good, I think. Five NFL games, one in the playoffs. Only through eight passes, no touchdowns or interceptions. But anyway, if you're just joining us, Jared Lorenzen, at 38 years of age, uh, died today after getting up over 500 pounds. Did he win a Super Bowl ring? Uh, let's see. Yeah, I know he was yes. on the team. I don't yes, know if he, he got yes. one. He was on the 07 team that, uh, that beat the Patriots. For comparison, Ed let's Oliver stop. ran 475. I just wanted to look that up real <laughs> Yeah, well, but I bet Ed Oliver can't throw it. Bet you he can't. I bet no. you he can't hit a. He can't hit a Z out. He's not gonna. He's not gonna pump on that sluggo and hit it deep in the seam. No. All right, we come back. John Worrell here on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270. Do you think there's some monetary value to that? Does anybody try to get that from you? I mean, that's such a sweet spot name. It's, yeah, that's it's crazy. to the point. Sabres prospects. It's got Sabres in the name. Or have you gotten any blowback of the Sabres saying you don't we shouldn't use this? No. No, I've never gotten blowback and I've never like because it's ever not thought official. Of, yeah. No. It's, it's not. not like you work for the Sabres. No. I'd like, I'd like to sell my Twitter name. LeBronstein. Yeah. I love your Twitter name. Yeah, I've told I've told Jonah that at LeBronstein, and the reason being, there's a couple reasons. One, if it has any monetary value, I'll give it up. Two, um, you know, I don't there's like a how, fashion I think designer it, or something, it, isn't there? Yes, that would be the third reason. Two, I think oh. it paints me a little bit like I'm this big LeBron fan, which I'm not. I just kind of like the pun. Three, yes, there's a Brazilian fashion designer that has LeBronstein on Instagram, and sometimes I get tweets in Portuguese from her fans. She was on the Brazilian Voice, a judge on the Brazilian Voice. And so I thought, you know, hey, if you want this and you want to pay hey. me in, you know, have you ever reached Brazilian out? dollars, Anything. whatever those are. Yeah. Have you ever reached no, out? I, well, I don't speak Portuguese. Well, I'm sure she, well, translate. Or somebody French, will help you. We've gone over. <laughs> Tim's like, somebody will help you. You got to get it figured out. What kind of currency do they use in Brazil? Portuguese. I don't know. One of my best friends a, and one of my first roommates... <laughs> Living in uh, 18 years old down on Durstein Street in South Buffalo. Hey, oh, lives in Brazil now. He married a very uh, nice Brazilian girl. <laughs> we'll say that. She was very. But Brazilian. he's offer. He'll he'll help. I ran into his brother over the weekend. Actually, when I texted you, <laughs> he'll help. Your buddy from Brockport. I was there with his the Brazilian guys. Anyways, Tim, how you doing? Let's buddy? bring in world traveler John Waro <laughs> from the Associated I, Press. <laughs> He's fresh. I can't back hardly from... wait. No, no, I, I, I like the conversation. I like the fact that uh, I can't hardly wait. The scummy watery tower version was playing. So thank you, Bobby Rosati. Hell yeah, the Tim version, right? <laughs> no, 
No. Oh, this is the demo. What what, what did you say version it is? This is a B-side off of um, Let It Be. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know that. The Brazilian uh-huh. uh, Brazilian monies uh, are called reals. A Brazilian real is the official currency of Brazil, according to Wikipedia, right. which is never wrong. Worth 26 cents, so Brazil. I'm going to need at least four or five of those. Yes. <laughs> Who wants to be... Oh, wait, wasn't that a Howard Stern bit? Who wants to be a Portuguese... A Turkish millionaire. Turkish millionaire. <laughs> Turkish millionaire. That's what it was. Lira. Yeah. Turkish Lira, by the way, just in case you're wondering, for those uh, Howard Stern fans out there, is worth, in U.S. dollars... Well, I'll look it up while John Morrow's talking. Oh, yeah. Happy uh, post-Canada Day, John. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Hey, can we, Bobby, can we get the Lee Greenwood Canada song? Because since we're right in between, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are going to be talking uh, about Lee Greenwood tomorrow and posting versions of this song, and fireworks are going to be going off to Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA. Can we not? No, let's get it going in the background here while we talk oh, about no. uh, You were just up in Canada. You interviewed Terry and Kim Pagula there. And um, 18 cents, by the way, Turkish Lira. <laughs> to the u.s dollar let's turn this up because from detroit i can see you which is would be your hometown of windsor that would be my yeah i'll I'll be there in a couple of weeks john let's just sit back and listen for a second oh my turn it up bobby i want people to know the propaganda that exists with lee greenwood first off it's not a great song but everybody gets all jingoistic and throbby about it Oh, wait, turn it up. Turn it up, Bobby. Turn it up. Here, here's where it gets good. You might recognize it. And I'm proud to be in Canada, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me. And I'd gladly stand up next to you. Lee Greenwood's a fraud. Tim, you weren't kidding, though. I am getting throbby. Aren't you? Yes. I'm getting twitchy in certain parts. All right, John. Anyways. God bless you, Canada. <laughs> okay. From, and then there's a verse like that begins. Dion, I, I, I hate to hear Celine Dion sing that. From Detroit, <laughs> I can see you, or something like that, is an actual <laughs> lyric. <laughs> how wow! How proud to be a Canadian Lee Greenwood must be that he can't wait to get to Detroit so he can look at it. <laughs> John Warrow, you met with the Pagulas in Vancouver, British Columbia. That's a province of Canada. And uh, they gave you an exclusive interview and talked about their commitment to winning, which, hey, look, I know that there are a lot of people who are saying, this isn't news, man. Well, first off, it's it's news anytime the owners of the, the Bills and Sabres talk. People want them to talk. They finally talked. And then you hear a lot of people saying, well, what do you expect them to say? Well, they had there's they said things they haven't normally said. Yes, it's it they want to win, but at least now you get the undercurrent of their expectations. It's not right. about rebuild or the T word as as uh, Terry Pagula right. mentioned. Uh, so what was your takeaway? I know you wrote the story for the Associated Press, and the Associated Press has to play it down the middle. But now here you are on Sports Radio twelve seventy the fan. I guess what was your general uh, vibe? In talking to uh, the Pagulas, right, and I and, and I can appreciate people going, well, oh, finally, after eight years, he wants to win. But 
you know, and, and it's difficult to put to, to put it on on paper or, or in print, as you know. But there, there seemed that was the first thing that came out of his mouth. I we need to start winning, and to me, that gave me the sense that there's a sense of urgency that he's frustrated over what's gone on over these past eight years, and that there is a definite need to focus. That he needs to get it right. And they, the, the thing that really struck me was they acknowledged. I went in there, you know, asking them, you, you folks have made some mistakes, and they actually acknowledged that there have been mistakes made, although, you know, they, they spun it in the sense that, you know, out of mistakes comes comes good things like Jack Eichel and Rasmus Dahlin, and um, they wouldn't be here uh, if some of those mistakes weren't made. But they at least acknowledge that there's been some mistakes, and the fact that Terry thinks or believes that things are pointing up um, and that quote came out of, um, I was making a comparison at the time. I told Terry and Kim that it looks like you've got the bills right with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. What, and what gives you the belief that, um, you know, and, and the Sabres seem to be a little bit far behind. And Terry actually disagreed um, to, to a certain extent. He hopes the bills have it right. He likes the fact that the bills seem to be um, trending upwards. Um, but he thinks that with Ralph Kruger and Jason Botterill, that he's got a similar combination. Obviously, we'll, we'll, we, need to see, we need to see how this all pans out. Um, but Terry acknowledged that he was blown away by Ralph Kruger in the interview. And I was impressed by the fact that Terry and Kim sat down with Ralph, where I don't think they had a lot of face time with, with Phil Housley. They got to know Ralph Kruger, and they acknowledged that they met him the day after the NFL draft which was, I believe, like was, was late April already. So that's how quickly he was on their radar. Um, and Terry said, I stopped taking notes because he's just a quote machine. He's an out-of-the-box thinker. Um, and, and to me, the fact that the Pagulas had a say and got a chance to sit down and meet with this guy leads me to believe that maybe that, that, that this, this, is, this is the right hire right now. Well, then, the, does that suggest to you that they're more involved with this hire than they had been in the past? It, it leads me to believe yes, because I get the sense that once they missed out on Mike Babcock, there was a huge level of disappointment there, and they turned to who the next guy was on the list, and that was Dan Bilesma. I'm not sure how much conversation the Pagulas had with Dan. I don't think they had a lot of conversation with Phil because he was hired almost immediately after the Stanley Cup final. Um, the fact that they, get, they had two weeks before they hired Ralph Kruger to sit down with him and get his sense, get a sense of who he is, um, I think that bodes well. Obviously, you look at what they did with uh, Rex Ryan, um, but to their credit, they found somebody in Sean McDermott in which they really went off the board. Doug Whaley wasn't, I don't think, was a fan of Sean McDermott, where the Pagulas um, really were attracted to him. So um, there's something to say about ownership involvement in some of these choices. So clearly they trusted Jason Bottrell to make the Phil Housley hire. Um, right. Do you think that there's some buyer's remorse from the Pagulas that they weren't more involved or that had they sat down with Phil Housley that they would have made a different choice? Uh, and, uh, and to what degree do you think that impacted their desire to want to get more involved or um, you know, get down and get their hands dirty a little bit more with the hiring process of, of Ralph Kruger? Now, and again, I, I can't say how, how, how much they sat down with Phil or knew Phil, um, but I do think that they realized that they've got a first-time GM 
who's hiring a first-time head coach in Phil. And I, I, I think they got a sense that maybe that did not work or, or wasn't the perfect marriage. Um, and I do think, and this is me, me speaking for myself as to what my gut reaction is. This is nothing that Terry or Kim said. I do think that Ralph Kruger's worldly presence does um, complement uh, some some of the things that that that, that Jason Barrow might lack, um, and 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 might help help Jason develop into being a better general manager. And I think that the fact that he can play almost a father figure to bottle is is I think they view that as a good thing. So John, that's you know you're kind of playing into the question that I want to ask you then. I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but do you see somewhere down the road maybe a greater role in the Sabres organization for Ralph Kruger? It, it was almost like reading the quotes that the Pagula's eyes were like lighting up when they were talking about Kruger. I I, I think he's I, I, he's got their confidence and I think that Jason actually uh, uh, turned them to him uh, through past conversations was a plus for Jason. So, um, but I do think that, um, whatever happens, I, they, they've got a lot of faith right now in Ralph Kruger. Let's see where, you know, what he does as a coach, but I think he can play, he can, he can segue into a bigger role at some point within PSC, um, at any point that I think that he decides that he may not be, that he may be done coaching. We're in conversation with Associated Press reporter John Worrow. Uh, that sounds like maybe uh, the next Russ Brandon. Well, let's let's let, let, let's hold off here because I think Ralph Kruger's got a lot more experience, worldly experience in some ways than uh, Russ did. I mean, uh, overseeing an English Premier Soccer Club is, uh, is 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 probably bigger than being the marketing guy for the Tampa Bay or for the Florida Marlins. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Uh, John, your thoughts uh, before we hit the break here, and sorry to put you up against it while we uh, had to bring on Lee Greenwood and waste your time with that. Uh, but I think that it was educational and the American people needed to know on the eve of Independence Day. Uh, but your thoughts on uh, the first few days of free agency uh, for the Buffalo Sabres? It fell, it fell exactly the way I, I felt it would. I don't think the Sabres, though they were interested in some free agents, the, the quality wasn't there. The, the quantity wasn't there. The quality was. And I, I, I do know that the Sabres understand that it's, it's, it's a tough sell to bring free agents into Buffalo because it's Buffalo and in part because of their, their track record and, and the fact that they've not made the playoffs in eight years and this looks like a dysfunctional organization. Which, so it didn't surprise me that they didn't get anybody in free agency, but it did. It didn't, and it didn't surprise me that they got Colin Miller and Jimmy Vesey via trade because that is the way that Jason Bottle is going to have to build this team as we move forward. Before, you know, if he wants to build it, make it into a contender. Hopefully, hope he hits with the draft and bring in guys through trades. All right, John Ward, the Associated Press. Thanks for joining us, John. Uh, I'm sure Thanks we'll be seeing you on the uh, the beer circuit. Uh, here in the coming yeah. weeks and months, I'll uh, be there. All right, and uh, are you handling the uh, the Jim Beam tragedy okay today? I just saw that it was. Uh, yeah, um, I'm glad we got a chance to visit before things went awry. Ooh, good pun. Ooh.
That was good. Great. Oh, point. I didn't even think. <laughs> thank you. That was an unintended pun. <laughs> it wasn't unintended, but thank you. I should have. I should have said I'm smarter than that. But yeah, no. <laughs> John Worrell, thanks for joining us, bud. Thanks, John. Thanks, Tim. All thanks, right, guys. When we come back, uh, we're going to have a. We might have a, an interesting guest uh, to stay. To stay in touch. Don't don't change the channel. Or if you're listening on the podcast, don't uh, don't click over to uh, UPorn or whatever or whatever one does on the internet. Or if you do, come back. <laughs> Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio, twelve seventy. The fan. Two seventy, twelve seventy. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I'm Tim Graham from The Athletic. Uh, here with uh, Chris Baker, also from The Athletic. You can follow him at Sabres Prospects. You can follow me, by the way. I never give out my Twitter handle. Yeah, you don't. My Twitter handle is at ByTimGraham. That's B-Y-Tim-Graham. Different spellings, a totally different account. You can follow our next guest. At the real OJ32. OJ Simpson is joining us. OJ, I know a lot of people have uh, tried to reach out to you uh, since you joined Twitter last month uh, and that you haven't been doing any interviews, uh, but uh, I appreciate you coming on my show to, to talk about this new, uh, this new platform that you're on. Well, actually, Tim, first of all, hey, Buffalo, talking proud. Um, first of all, you know, I got involved in Twitter, really uh, had more to do with fantasy football than anything, plus the fact that it did give me uh, a chance to straighten out a few things, you know, uh, people representing themselves as my lawyer, uh, my my um, manager. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I noticed there's a whole lot of people uh, who are supposed to be a part of my life that I barely know that were speaking for me. And the media seemed to want to give them these titles, I guess, to give them legitimacy uh, by saying he's his nine-year manager. I mean, I had that in my various trials. I'd see a guy on the stand, he was a manager, a guy who was a close friend, or a guy who was a childhood friend who I'm told is on some of these shows these are people that are real borderline people in my life. So I thought it would give me an idea, uh, uh, an opportunity to straighten a little of that out. But more importantly, as I said, I'm, I, I'm a guy who used to answer all my fans, all my fan mail. Uh, I, I made it a point to answer anybody who wrote me. I wrote them back. Well, I can't do that anymore. It's just one too many people. I don't have the money to buy the stamps <laughs> and stuff to, to do that. So, uh, it turned out that Twitter seemed to be a pretty good platform, even though uh, you have to put up with the trolls and and the negatives, even though I have enough people who kind of filter through it for me that I don't have to really deal with that. Well, that answers a question, I guess, right before I, I ask it. Uh, I thought I had trolls. <laughs> uh, 
OJ, uh, how do you handle the feedback? I'm sure that you've gotten a crush of feedback. And for those wondering, uh, just in a span of a couple of days, uh, OJ was up over to nearly 500,000 followers. And as of today, he's at 840,000 followers. Um, what, what has been the, the response? Well, you know, you, as I said, you have trolls, you have people who you can tell. The few that I actually, uh, my friends, thought were funny enough for me to see the negative that was funny enough for me to see. You can see that they're, they're probably trolling everybody, looking for an opportunity to, to uh, spout maybe, in some cases, hatred, or just negative, or try to be smartasses, excuse uh, the phrase, but... Fortunately for me, there's enough of people who I know are genuine, uh, in, if not fans, certainly interested in what I'm interested in. And uh, those are the people I try to, uh, I'm going to try to respond to. I've also had the opportunity, because they have the, the more private stuff that comes into you, recon, uh, reconnect with high school teammates, uh, uh, junior college uh, teammates, people, some I haven't talked to in 50, 52 years. So that's been fun. That's been good. And as I say, the more I try to be positive in everything, uh, Michael Jackson died recently, and I felt that I wanted to comment on Michael. The Michael that I knew, I don't know him well enough to debate anybody about him, as I said in my visual tweet. Uh, but for my family uh, and my kids, and um, when he helped us with Camp Good Time for kids with cancer, all I had to do is ask him, and he gave a concert and gave the money to it. Um, uh, Michael was a kind and generous soul. and I remember you telling me that uh, he died when you were in prison. You didn't really get a chance to properly uh, mourn his death because he was such a... Uh, well, you were, I'm sure, a lightning rod in, in prison, too. But when he when he died, I remember you telling me all the different gangs and things. Uh, people had their well, opinions yeah, on, on Michael yeah. Jackson. Well, in, in, in prison, it's you got everything, right? Fortunately for me, I got along with everybody, right? And most of the guys who were shot callers, if they were Aryans or A-dubs or Serenials, Nartanials, Bloods, Crips, whatever, most of the shot callers played on my golf softball teams. <laughs> you know, or I played dominoes with them because you have to get along. You can't. Otherwise, uh, every day it'd be a gang fight. But it was a tough experience for me because you know, a lot of guys were making fun. And the Michael I knew who opened Neverland Ranch up for my kids and uh, and their friends, um, as I said, he was never there, but he always had gifts for them when they came. At a tough time for me when... I really couldn't do anything public with my family because uh, the media was um, had my home in Brentwood under siege. And uh, um, when I had my kids, we were just at my buddy Don O'Myers, who you know, obviously, uh, is past now. Uh, Michael opened up Neverland Ranch. My kids were able to bring their friends, and hell, I started bringing my friends. Uh, so we would have long weekends up there, and it was just everything was was at our disposal, and uh, that's the Michael I knew. And the people who worked there were all like firemen from the local areas, and they told me that Michael gave charity events up there, just tons of them, because they had to be the guys working the bumper cars or 
other, you know, the various rides and trains and things that were up there. And, you know, they were saying Michael was really generous. He always had, uh, it was always free to whatever the charity was. So my point is, Michael's personal life, I know nothing about. I can't talk on it. I can't speak on it. But my experience with him is that he was a kind guy. And uh, and it was tough for me hearing these guys because if you tried to argue with them, who knows what that could lead to. So I was forced to go to my room, and I found I got pretty emotional alone in my room because, you know, I couldn't defend, I couldn't defend the guy I knew because I couldn't talk about the things they were making jokes about because, to be honest, I didn't know. And you jumped right into Twitter. Uh, one of your very first tweets regarded, uh, you know, uh, we don't have to get into it, but it, just so people know what I'm referencing, a very uh, infamous rumor regarding the, the Kardashian family that's been out. Uh, so you're yeah. addressing these types of things. So, uh, Well, that what, bothered me because Mike, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Tim, Bob was, a, was like a brother to me, you know. So where people were having fun with Chloe with my daughter and stuff, what they were implying to me was that I would be messing around with one of my close friends' wives. It was just not true. I, I don't even know where this started. Uh, I, someone said it's because there was a picture showing Chloe and, 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 one, and one, one of my daughters, and they looked similar. But to me, for such a nasty rumor, that's not enough to be starting. Uh, such a horrible rumor. Now, Chloe and, and all the girls, uh, I always thought were terrific when they were kids, they were nice, uh, church-going girls, because Bob was a real church-going guy. Their lives is a little different now. I've, I've only seen one show ever, and that was 100 years ago. <laughs> Early on, I, I've never watched another episode, but I've run into the girls uh, in, in not recent years, but you know, before all my stuff happened here in Vegas, and and from what I can see, they're still the girls that I knew, sweet, nice girls, and uh, their mother found a way to market them. And um, hey, I can't, I can't be mad at her for that. But never was I ever in any way interested in her. And I, as I stated in my Twitter, I never had any indication that she was interested in me. And uh, I just want to put that to rest. That I'm tired of hearing it. And she's told you it's nothing, no truth to it. And I just want to be on record. Right. Well, my intention for bringing that up, OJ, wasn't to to get you to get back into all that, uh, but I I wanted to bring it up just to to kind of frame my question regarding what level of apprehension did you have about getting on social media? Because, you know, you knew it was going to be controversial, I'm sure, but but then you jumped right into a pretty, uh, I think, controversial subject, which maybe indicates not much apprehension at all. Well, no, you know, I my, my attitude is I'm a positive guy. And if you've watched uh, the little videos that I put out of what I've said, I've tried to keep it positive. Uh, if I had any apprehension, my apprehension was the same reason I did it, the media. Um, I see guys on TV talking about me or explaining me to people, people I've never met. <laughs> I saw this guy Tobin something on TV. So oh, he used to hang out at the Brentwood Mark. Because he likes being or seeing people seeing him. Wait a minute, I lived in Brentwood. My kids ate lunch during the summer three days a week at least at the Brentwood Mark. All my neighbors ate at the Brentwood Mark. So when you have people in the media explaining you, 
and saying what you're like. Uh, I think most people who've met me over the years know what I'm like. I think Vegas has accepted me because I'm out there. They all see me. They see what I'm like. And a lot of my friends said, told me, it'd be a lot better hearing people hearing you and seeing you and not trying to judge you based on what some pundit, uh, um, um, you know, psychological <laughs> insight as to who you are and what you're what you're about. So that had more to do with it. And I get, you know, I, as I said, I get to answer questions that I wasn't able to answer. You know, uh, uh, people want to talk to me about football, about fantasy. I love fantasy football. You know, uh, every day lately. Guys are asking me about what runner I would draft first and what runner I like. Well, you know, I've done this my whole life. You know, I signed with ABC uh, literally days after I played in the Hula Bowl. Uh, I was still in college, and I signed with ABC to go on TV and to talk about sports. Um, early in my career, in my early 20s, I would host Wide World of Sports on the weekend. Hey, I love that. I went on the road with uh, Keith Jackson and Howard Cosell to promote Monday Night Football before the first episode of Monday Night Football, you know, ever happened. I was going to host, be one of the guys on it, because then we had Mondays off. So I was going to do Monday Night Football, and Pete Rozelle made a rule that active players couldn't be doing games, so that blew me out of the box. (laughs) But shortly after I retired, I ended up doing some Monday Night Football. I love that. I love doing the Olympics and talking about sports. Uh, if I miss anything in my professional life, it's my work on TV uh, talking about sports. Well, not uh, you don't get paid on Twitter, uh, OJ. Nope. Uh, no, nope. you're doing it for free now. Uh, I do it because I love it. <laughs> I know you pay attention to the Buffalo Bills and the running back situation, and I know you have an admiration yeah. for LaShawn McCoy. Uh, let and me ask Frank you this. I, well, I took Frank to lunch a few times when he was still at Miami. I was living in Miami. And unfortunately, if, if we couldn't mesh the two, you know, <laughs> right now, if we could mesh the two and have McCoy running the ball and stuff, and once you get in the red zone, have Frank in the game, uh, we'd have one hell of a running back. Unfortunately, for fantasy, because I think when you get in the red zone, you're going to Frank will probably be in the game more than LaShawn, and LaShawn will probably be your first to your maybe third down back. Um, um, I don't think any one of them have a great value in fantasy going in. Do you think in the real world, OJ? They'd be a good fantasy. Do you think from a real-world standpoint that they can coexist in the Bills' backfield? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Frank – I think – I think Frank, knowing Frank, knowing what I know of Frank, I can't say I'm best friends with him, but I've known him since an early age. Frank just wants to compete and contribute to the team. He knows what his value is. Let's let's face it, on third down, Frank Gore is still a monster. He still can get the job done. Third and short, in the in the red zone, Frank is still very productive. I think even... In the times that he played last year, he may have averaged four point some yards a carry, probably more than LaShawn. But uh, he's a competitor. He loves the game, and he's always been a team player. You never hear Frank talk me. Me is not a word he uses a lot. He tends to talk about the team. So 
I have no doubt. And I think as I got older, hey, I, even when I was young, I loved Braxton taking the ball on third down. <laughs> you know, but you take that beating on third down, right? I wanted the ball first, second, and third down, but it, third and short, I was glad to see Braxton hitting that line. And I, I can't believe that Frank Gore wouldn't appreciate that uh, coming from, from Frank. OJ, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, LaShawn won't appreciate that coming from Right, Frank. and that's something I think he's been talking about for a couple of years. Maybe not last year, uh, but the year before when he was uh, doing a lot of the work, uh, he was he was telling the Bills that he needed some help. Uh, now, last year he, he got uh, off the rails and wasn't able to do anything, but now this could be finally that uh, that, that setup that, uh, yeah. that could allow him At both. At 31, uh, in his style of running, it's better for him to stay fresh to try to use that okie doke to break the long runs, I think he's a lot better off uh, uh, being used like that. And and as I say, Frank's at an age, and he's always had a knack on third down, third and short, and stuff of picking up those you know those tough yards. Your thoughts on Josh Allen, OJ? I don't know that I've ever asked you about him. Well, he's a great athlete. You know, uh, he has that threat of running the ball. Um, I, I'd like to see him be a little more accurate. Um, but in the second half of the season, I thought he got better. Uh, he certainly wants, you know, I, you know, look, I look at this plethora of, of, I don't know, I don't want to call them borderline receivers because I think Jones, um, who knows, Jones might, might be able to be uh, something special one, uh, one day like he was in, in college. Um, um I don't see right now that they have that that super receiver. This guy Foster, jeez, I mean, the guy obviously could be a home run hitter. Well, Cole Beasley, from a fantasy standpoint, if you're in a if you're talking about a point, PPR, PPR league, yeah, right. maybe, maybe. But the problem at this point that I see with Cole is, uh, I wouldn't say <laughs> that Josh Allen right now. Uh, strength is accuracy on those quick short passes, but he was a rookie last year. You know, rookies improve. OJ, I think that uh, I do know that you have an affinity for Saquon Barkley. Is he? Uh, in what circumstance would he not be your number one overall pick? Uh, if I had the first pick, <laughs> 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 yeah, that circumstance. Because if I have the first pick. Uh, I'm going with this quarterback from Kansas City. I'm sorry. Mahomes, his, his separation, the difference between him and the second quarterback in points last year was like 93 points. And as I stated on my Twitter that uh, Brady may be the greatest living American, <laughs> for that matter, was 175 points behind him. Even Drew Brees, who led my team's, to uh, four championships of my fantasy teams uh, was 150 yards behind. I don't think you can make up that difference at any other position. My favorite player right now, uh, well, my two favorite players, I have to say two, uh, because the kid at New England I've learned to respect, the wide receiver. um, Julian Edelman? Julian Edelman. But uh, uh, I saw this kid play against SC, Shaquan. And I said to my buddies, he's not only the best player on the field, this guy's going into the Hall of Fame one day. I said the same thing sitting next to my buddies 
uh, in the Orange Bowl watching a freshman named Adrian Peterson play against USC. Get beat. They got beat pretty good. And I said, this guy is by far the best player on the field. Of course, Palomalo was on SC's team, didn't play in that game. But even if he played, I wouldn't have said as by far, but I would have certainly said Adrian was the best player on the field. Um, uh, this kid is unbelievable. Uh, this year is going to be interesting because without uh, Beckham, he's going to be looking instead of four threes, he's going to be looking at um, uh, you know four fives, four sixes instead of three fours. It's going to be three fives, much like Earl Campbell and uh, Adrian Peterson and Barry Sanders and I looked at those safeties are going to be up. You're going to have four down linemen, you know. Maybe four linebackers, of uh, three to five linebackers, but them safeties are going to be up because they're not going to worry about getting beat deep. There's no real – right now, I don't think, even though this kid averaged 20 yards a catch last year, um, Foster, until he catches a couple of long balls and hopefully early uh, – I'm sorry, I'm sorry, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm confusing the two teams. But whoever's with the Giants, I don't see the guy that's going to – force them to have the safeties worry about uh, the corners getting big beat deep. The first thing they're going to be looking for is the running game, or Barkley trying to catch a swing pass. So he's going to be playing against eight-man defenses. The eight guys are going to be focused on him, much like I had to deal with throughout my career in college and pro. Certainly Earl Campbell, certainly Barry Sanders. Um, Walter, too, he had a um, – I can't think of the sprinter – uh, that could stretch the field a little bit. Really, Galt. Galt? Yeah, Galt. He had Galt and um, and Dickerson. You know, Dickerson had uh, uh, Ellard. But for the most part, they were playing against seven and eight-man defenses. This guy next year will be playing against an eight-man defense every time he lines up. Eight guys are going to be focused on him. Now, O.J., with everything uh, that's happened in your life, with everything that you've done, uh, and uh, especially over the last uh, 25 years, uh, there are probably a lot of people who aren't even going to care what your answer is to this question. They're probably going to be upset for me asking it. But I'm out of curiosity from one human being to another. What is it like right now just to be able to talk football? Well, you know, I uh, I love it. <laughs> I love football. And I love that's the subject. That's why I'm on Twitter. That's basically the subject. You know, I'll make a political statement. I, you know, I try to encourage everybody to watch the debates. And I also encourage them, as you may have noticed on Twitter, that when it's over, turn it off. Don't listen to the pundits and experts telling you who won. <laughs> Come on. You got to vote. You heard it. You make that decision. But basically, I like talking sports. always have. And I've always talked sports. You know, I, I here in Vegas... People are every day asking me about sports. And what I'm amazed at is how many Buffalo people are live in Vegas. Jesus, like they left half of Buffalo, left Buffalo to move to Las Vegas. I mean, literally every day I run into Buffalo people and they want to talk about the bills. I was backwards. I moved to Buffalo from Las Vegas. Right now. <laughs> you know, I'm just hoping that, you know, I'm hoping that what I saw in the second half of last season, uh, picks up in the first half of this season because they were definitely a better football team in the second half of the season last year. OJ, anything that uh, I didn't ask you about that you want to mention? No, talking proud, Buffalo. <laughs> you All know, right. uh, um, go Bills, talking proud, uh, stay positive. You know, 
um, um, no matter what I've gone through in my life, I'm a positive guy, and despite the trolls and the negative, uh, it's amazing how many positive uh, people that I've met who's had positive things to say about me, and I totally appreciate it. O.J. Simpson, I know that you could have done a lot of interviews, uh, but you uh, came on with me today to talk about your your uh, your foray into Twitter and uh, a lot of the things uh, that come along with it. So uh, I'm grateful that you would uh, choose to come on my radio show and talk to me. Yeah, well, I like talking to Buffalo. Buffalo was great to me. Uh, the people I meet Is that it? I think we literally lost him on the last sentence there. No, I hear a fuzzy Hold line on. there, too. <clears throat> well, that was O.J. Simpson. So, uh, oh, sorry, still is he still there? All right, well, he's, he's still on there. Did we have a, we had a hiccup? I'm still here. Sarah, okay, we had a hiccup. We heard uh, you, were, you were saying, uh, you were just talking about uh, that you like uh, communicating with the fans in Buffalo. Said uh, here in Vegas, there's so many of them, and they all come up to me, and we talk about memories, and they're so positive, you know, it's so up spirited, and I mean, it lifts me up, and I try to give it back to them. Like I know I you tried to come have. to a game last season; it didn't work out. Uh, any plans yeah. in the works to to come to New Era well, Field? You know, and... I, I I had a habit of trying to go to two games a year in Buffalo, and I did that for a number of years. Uh, this year, I was going to go to the Dallas game. Then I found out it was Thanksgiving. <laughs> and uh, I can't. I, I got family and stuff, so I won't be able to make it to that game. But two of my friends who are from Lockport, who one now lives in uh, San Antonio and the other in Miami, we're trying to pick a game to go to this year. And I'm sure I'll make at least one game. All right. O.J. Simpson. Yeah. Thanks again for uh, coming on the show and All right. and uh, and for trusting me to uh, to handle it. All right, Tim, take uh, take care. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter. You know, I'm following about eight different people. Uh, are, well, I follow the Bills, the 49ers. I've noticed. You know, I've been told this, stuff, but you're one of the few individuals well, that yeah. I'm following. I thought I would. You know, people were going to be wondering when you were on Twitter uh, it, when you first came on, and of course there were a ton of uh, knockoff accounts trying to pretend to yeah, be I you know. and. And so I said, just because I happened to know that it was your actual Twitter account, I tweeted out, this is the official, this is really O.J. Simpson. And then I saw the next day uh, you had followed me, and uh, let's just say uh, people had questions for me. Yeah, I bet they did. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but look, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied that you are following me because what that means to me, and regardless of uh, what you think or, or what anybody thinks, anytime I go into an interview... Uh, and people make themselves vulnerable to me, which you do because, hey, let's face it, you could be doing any interview and you, and you choose not to, is that when you're done with the process of dealing with me, that you don't feel that you've been burnt, uh, that you feel like you were handled with some integrity, and the fact that you would follow me uh, leads me to believe that, that you felt that way. So thank you. We lost him again. Either that or he's, he said he just doesn't want to disagree with me. That's all right. I'll leave it at that. OJ, if you're still on the line, you can hang up now. All right. We have a break. We're going to come back. We're going to have Scott Farrell from uh, Farrell on the Bench, CBS Sports Radio, talk a little bit of uh, Bills. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about 
the interview that we just did here with Chris Baker at Good Sabres job. Prospects. Good job, Tim. LeBron Steen at LeBron Steen, Jonah Bronstein, Bobby Rosati handling the calls. Not your fault. I know that wasn't Bobby's I know, fault. But really, you know, I think it's the equipment. Ugh. OJ, you if you're listening and want to know about Dylan Cousins, follow <laughs> at Sabres Prospects. That's right. Don't forget to follow. Yeah. <laughs> if you're looking for one extra follow and you need your Sabres news, follow at Sabres Pro- That had a Dolphins logo on the fin. <laughs> and so I sat there, and there's a place, and down there, unlike in Buffalo, you don't really get plane-watching areas. Vegas, there's a, there are a lot of plane-watching areas. It's a big hobby for a lot of people to come and watch the planes, and you can use different apps and things to see which plane's coming in next and, you know, if there's you know a certain type of uh, aircraft you're looking for, cargo or whatever. But... In Fort Lauderdale Airport, a ton of places where you can sit and watch. And in fact, you could then tune your radio and listen to the air traffic control. It was a hobby that people had. So I sat there and watched. The plane landed. I'm calling my boss. And I'm thinking I really have things on. There's Tony Sperano that I'm really going the extra mile to cover Tony Sperano. Before you know it, I noticed that there are five other SUVs in this parking lot with me. I'm thinking they're there for hobbyists. It's all the TV stay at the cameraman mm. in there, and they all start scrambling. Helicopters all over the place. Uh, once we got a little, you know, Tony far, far enough for Tony Sperano. <laughs> Never been a head coach in the NFL before. Dolphins fans would have no idea who this guy is, other than the fact that they've been reading about him for a couple of days. So I can imagine Kawhi Leonard, you know, being followed in Toronto. Well, it's funny while they're doing it though. There's like news reporters are like, you know, we really need to respect his privacy. He's a, he's, you know, he's a quiet guy. Yeah. You got birds up in the air. You got people on the ground. There's a line of people like outside, like fans on the sidewalk. Have you seen this Jonah? Where like, there's just like fans loitering like like they're gonna get the scoop or something. Like what you think Kawhi's gonna come out? He's like, I'm staying. I'm going. I think we're why are you even there? You know, it's like go home. It's a nice day. Like go enjoy your championship. People don't know what to do. Well, just think about Bills fans when the Bills made it into the playoffs uh, and they were coming back from the Dolphins game and fans were went out to, on New Year's Eve, go out to prior aviation to greet the, in, the, in a blizzard, yeah. to greet the Bills coming back from a, a, a Miami Dolphins game because they were about to go to the playoffs. There's just, fans don't know what to do with themselves. They want to be a part of something. That's yeah, crazy. Man. I think it's probably this a similar attitude to just wanting to go to a parade i am a i am a on a scale of one to ten i'm a negative three for parades i don't care if it's fourth of july if it's saint patrick's day if it's the rose bowl i don't care i just don't find any enjoyment in going standing shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of people i don't know thanks not knowing where i'm going to be able to take my next leak uh, and in the in the heat, usually, Stink. unless you're talking about a St. Patrick's Day. Just go, but man. Stinks. I, uh. I think what's going on here is Toronto can't really make the best basketball argument or marketing star power argument for Kawhi Leonard, but the fans can come out and say, we, we love you more than the fans in Los Angeles will. And that's very much like I think Buffalo fans would react in a situation like this. So I think a lot of this is just Toronto and really much of Canada saying, Kawhi, we love you so much. Give us another year. And, you know, it might. I think that if Kawhi goes back to Toronto, it will be a lot of that emotional connection that's been made in the last year for a guy who doesn't show his emotions at all. I think he feels some loyalty, even if maybe his plan all along was to go to L.A. Yep.
It's the classy thing to do, apparently. Speaking of class, pure class, a guy I've known for, hell, 30, 30 wait, not, not 30 years, 20, 25 years at least. Scott Farrell from Farrell on the Bench here on CBS Sports Radio. You hear him right here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Scotty, I don't have you on this show enough. I always feel like I am uh, taking advantage because you do this for a living, and the last thing you probably want to be doing when you're not on the air is coming back on the air. But thanks for joining the show, man. You know, I'd do anything for you. I, uh, I like you, so I would do it. I'm not. I'm pretty much not that much of a D, though, that I wouldn't uh, go on uh, guys shows around uh, the country. I, uh, I never felt like, uh, that I was anything special. I thought the show was cool. I thought, uh, the, the show uh, was happening and that people dug it and everything. And that, uh, you know, I, I appreciated that always. I felt like, you know, I was lucky that, it, uh, it got so popular. Uh, you know, I've been pretty much syndicated uh, my whole career nationally. And, uh, you know, I never thought that would happen. And when it did, I just, I thought it'd be important to be cool to people. And then, you know, there's few people that I, I've known that long that I have a relationship with that I've uh, stayed close to over the years. And you're definitely, uh, Graham, in that, you know, I think elusive club. I mean, you're, you're, you got a strong history with me going back to Vegas days and fights. So uh, you're an all timer on the bench. Well, thanks, man. And the bench, by the way, is heard right here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, every weeknight from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Uh, it's a great overnight show. It belong- I mean, it feels overnight, and it's been that way since since the Vegas days. Right. Uh, you know, it just it has that feel. You know, I've never asked you this. What was the experience like at Sirius? And you used to have me on there, and I could drop the occasional F-bomb if I felt like right. it. I think you encouraged me to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was that like, uh being at Sirius at that time and part of the, the Howard Stern network? Well, uh, I mean, it was incredible. I'll say it was the uh, craziest seven years of my life. I mean, uh, the behavior was, uh, it was absurd. I mean, I, I never experienced anything like that. You know, I had been, you know, I think the first time uh, that they syndicated me from Los Angeles in the nineties and I was, it was pretty big. It was, the show was on in 250 markets, and a lot of it was because of uh, Mel Carmisen. So if you remember, in the business, uh, Mel Carmisen, you know, he clearly made me and uh, and certainly uh, Howard Stern. And I think that, uh, you know, I was on a lot of stations that Howard was on in that, you know, syndication uh, path I was on back in those days. So that was where... They, you know, found me, and that was where, you know, Howard never admits that he knows anybody, right? So, like, I worked for Howard for seven years, and he'll still say he doesn't know who I am. But um, that's the funny thing. He knew who I was. I, uh, I had the same agent, and I was syndicated by the same boss, and we were on the same station. And uh, so I think that's how it all kind of came together. I will say that when I was there, uh, it was, I mean, it was just absolutely crazy. Uh, I mean, there was just porn stars everywhere. Uh, there was uh, rock stars everywhere, movie stars everywhere. I'd be walking down the hall one day, and I'd see uh, Oprah Winfrey. I'd turn the corner, and, and there was Metallica. 
uh, you know, and then Howard was always really cool to me. You know, I, I thought it was just the greatest experience ever. Uh, I got to be a complete idiot. Uh, I got away with murder. Um, my show was just repulsive and uh, disgusting and terrible. Uh, it was an atrocity, but it was just so kick-ass. That it, was just, it, was just, it was just so unbelievably kick-ass. I thought it was the greatest uh, show ever for me in terms of my career. I, I had a blast, and I behaved, you know, porously. Uh, I did everything. I mean, you name it, I did it. And uh, I'm guilty of all charges. But it was it was just absolutely kick-ass. And then, you know, it just came down to, uh, you know, I, I sensed an end, and uh, I sensed changes, and uh, I, was, I was right. <laughs> I mean, they... Uh, you know, they they fired my boss. They brought in this chick. She fired everyone. And uh, they changed it all to be more about him, which I understood. I, I was completely like, that's what he always wanted was both channels to be about him and not about all these little one-hour shows or my show or anybody's show. It was all about him. I got it. And that's what I was there for, to promote him and bring fans to him, right? So I did my job. And then when I sensed that there was going to be some changes made i felt like i was kind of like uh, hanging there by a thread and so i i made a couple phone calls and i i got very lucky and the uh, network started and they wanted me to run their nights and that's the bottom line uh they they offered me nights to, to do what i do at night that's what i do is nights and when all the games are on that's that's when i roll so i took it i i got a long-term deal and i guess as they say the rest is history because it all worked out i mean I've been at CBS Sports Radio a long time. I wish I would have never left Howard, but uh, this has been a way better job overall. My audience is 10 times the size of that one. That was an exclusive, like, rich audience of, you know, high-end people that spend money on radio. And, you know, my audience on free radio is, you know, 10 times that. So, in the end, it was a better gig, but it certainly wasn't as fun as... uh, just the, I was basically a boogie nights, man. I was a rock star pimp and it was just absolutely, I mean, I couldn't get enough of it. I, it, it was, it was insane, man. How did you make the transition then from that, that environment where anything goes and I, back to terrestrial radio where the FCC obviously right. has, uh, has uh, jurisdiction? Uh, it was the worst. It was the worst. I mean, it, it was, it was bad. So I had to, like, so what I did was, these are great questions, too, by the way. Uh, very, very fun uh, questions. Who cares about sports? Right. I, so I, what I did was I put up two signs in front of me, like right in the studio. I put up one that was like, uh, I don't remember exactly, but I think I put like a zero tolerance. And then I was like, no cussing. Uh, you know, I just put up zero tolerance, no cussing. A giant, big, black, sharpie scratched in like little signs that I put up in front of me. Cause I mean, on Howard, I was absolutely vulgar and I mean, just the dirtiest show ever. And then to go to the Vatican network, as I call it now, which is rated G soft tissue femme radio, uh, which is what I do now. Uh, I, I actually, uh, had to really focus on not, uh, dropping bombs. They put in a three 10 second delays on me because so 30 seconds they covered their uh, tush because they knew I was, uh, you know, dangerous 
or whatever. And that I think they thought I couldn't do it is bottom line. And I know they put in the, the triple dump for me. I didn't do it for, you know, anyone else on the <laughs> network. As you know, there's no one on that network that really did what I did, which I was yeah. Satan, right? So uh, everyone else was like a sports talk guy. And I was a sports talk guy that lived in hell. <laughs> well, let's and go I, back the other way, too, Scotty. What was it like then when you go from terrestrial radio to having all of this freedom? Was it, did you have to, did you have trouble filtering yourself? Or maybe did you go, did you go overboard because it was, it was new? Uh, or did you, yeah, did you wade I, I in? I, I don't, I don't recall that transition really. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, I just, I remember my, certainly it changed my life, like, uh, in a big way. Um, like wherever I went, like, um, so my family was, uh, exposed to it, like my wife and kids. So at the time I had little kids, right. And, um, they, they, uh, you know, they got treated, uh, somewhat poorly sometimes, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, stuff like, uh, he's terrible. He's the devil. His children, can you imagine that he's a father and that they let him have children and his wife's a hooker, and she's a horrible parent. She wasn't at that time, though, Scotty. It was. It was. It was that way when I first. No, your wife know, wasn't was, a hooker was at that pretty, time. I was what? She wasn't anymore, I, though. No, <laughs> she was not. She had already stopped being a hooker, <laughs> and she, she had become less of a hooker and more of a, a porn star. So uh, at the time, no. So she's just like the most wonderful, normal, kick-ass, like, mother, totally smoking hot, 34Cs, cool, everybody uh, digs her, she's the nicest person in the world, and she absolutely has zero interest whatsoever, like, less than zero, about sports or my radio show. She's not a, she was never a person uh, that got anything at all out of my radio She just thought it was the dumbest thing ever. Uh, she And I think she thought I was a jerk and a loser and a painful reminder. And then, you know, the bottom line was I got her to uh, go out with me once, and then uh, the rest is history. I, you know, I ended up with her, and I had two kids with her. But uh, when I went there, I got crazy. And so I didn't want to go just be like any other show. I wanted to stand out like no one's business and to do some damage. So I went all in. And uh, I had everything going, bro. I was averaging about, I don't know, 20 death threats a month. <laughs> I mean, I was, it was bad. I had people attack me. I got attacked in New York City. I got stalked. I got threatened. I got attacked. I mean, everything. I got some guy attacked me in the middle of Times Square and I uh, split my head open. And uh, and then I, what was great about it was I was bleeding to death in an ambulance. And they were like, we're taking you to St. Louis. I'm like, my ass. I kicked the door open to the ambulance. I ran out of the back of the ambulance. I ran up the street on 49th to do the show at, at Stern, and my head was gushing blood. I did four hours on the radio. People are like, there's blood all over him. What's wrong with him? He's on drugs. I was like, yes, I am on drugs, and I'm going to finish the show. And then I went and did some more drugs, and then I went to the hospital, and they gave me some more drugs, and I did them, and then they showed my head up, and I went back to work the next day. So I've had, the show was, uh, it was a problem for a little while, like a couple of years. And then I think people got used to the fact that I was uh, legally insane and that uh, it was just the way it was going to be. And then the show kind of hit its groove and it was, you know, really popular. So, I mean, I succeeded, I think, in uh, 
I'll never look at it like anything other than success. I succeeded in being the filthiest human being ever on radio uh, doing sports in the history of the world. And then I went and did the femiest, softest <laughs> candy ass show ever. And I'm kick ass at that too. <laughs> I'm like, honest to God, and I sleep with a hot chick. You get a little lag, you get a little, oh, shake it up. And uh, <laughs> last night, did you hear the show? I, my dad dropped dead on the show last night. So I what? was on the air last night, and my father dropped dead. Did you know TR, uh, uh, Tim? Did you know him? No, I did. You're, you're, you're not, you're serious. I am serious. But, uh, I'm serious as cancer. My dad, uh, he, he's like the greatest sports fan ever. And, uh, I've heard him on your show, and I remember right. talking to you about him, especially after your mom died. I, I wrote a column right. about you uh, in the Las Vegas Sun, right. and you were in a very dark period then, uh, right. and how much your father meant to you. Uh, so but you, no, I I was right. I was on deadline for a story last night. I didn't listen to any radio last yeah. night, so no, I didn't. So what happened was is that you're like, allowed to call I, off today. He's the greatest. Uh, well, I didn't want to miss the uh, Tim Graham show. So I, uh, I'm going to do my show tonight as well, and uh, tomorrow and, and Friday. So I'll tell you a funny story. So here's what happened. First of all, uh, it's, this is true. My, my dad died last night in the middle of the show. And uh, my boss immediately was like, this is terrible. Uh, I'm just absolutely horrific, this news. But you're going to be doing the show the rest of the week, right? And I was like, uh, you know, of course I'm going to uh, do the show the rest of the week. Why would I? Uh, why would you expect anything less from me? You know, here, let me just, uh, I'll just stick my dad in the ground on Friday. We'll get that in, but we'll, we'll do the show from Pittsburgh. So I'm doing that, which is normal. The weird thing is, is that 25 years ago, my mom died. You remember that? And so he was the same boss. So the same boss put her, uh, when I, she died, I had to go back to Pittsburgh and do the show. And then uh, 25 years fast forward to now, my dad uh, got he had a stroke last week, so I I went back to Pittsburgh. I did like two shows from the fan in Pittsburgh, ninety three seven the Pirate Station, and then I was there and he got better and he started making a comeback. He had like a little comeback trail going and a little reverb, little uh, you know a little rally cap. He came back strong in, in the extra innings, and then he uh, had a heart attack Wednesday of last week, Jesus. and then uh, and then so it just was the, uh, just a plane crash right like he just went down like a, a plane and it was uh whatever last night they called me in the middle of the show and they said you got to talk to him and uh he's about to go i got on the phone i was in a break at eleven thirty-five, and i said uh enjoy that morphine magic carpet ride say hi to mom i love you boom he died like two seconds later and then that was it they gave him that morphine drip that strong effort going out. You got to get the drip going. If you're not feeling good, get a little drip, drip, like a morning coffee, a little drip, drip. And then next thing you know, you're in uh, Never Never Land. And then he went home to be with my mom. So I was on the air. I finished the show. Most people knew him. He was a great sports fan, uh, 80 plus pirate games a year. Uh, he went to, he was there for 1960 Mazeroski's home run over uh, the Pirates beating the Yankees in Game 7 of the World Series at Forbes Field. Uh, he took me to six Super Bowls, uh, you know, five Stanley Cups. Uh, you know, I-, I went to 50 million NCAA basketball games and football games. Uh, I went to see Joe Montana play every single game.
game of his college career at Notre Dame, every single game, because my dad was a, a college roommate with Dan Devine. He was a great sports man, a funny dude. He was really cool, and he had a crash landing ending to his life. It sucked. But uh, I did the uh, show, and a lot of people called in and laughed about him because he was a really funny dude on the air. He was very funny. We played a lot of drops of him on the air. But it did suck, so I'm going back there uh, tomorrow night after the show on the 4th of Pharrell, and I'm going to drive back to Pittsburgh, and I'm going to bury him. And I know that a lot of people must be listening to this and thinking, well, this is clearly an act. Uh, not that your dad died, but that Scott Farrell can't be this cavalier and joking already about his father who just died. And, and it wasn't like it was a long illness. It, it happened in a relatively short right. period. Uh, but I can attest that, no, this really is Scott. Uh, but I also uh, know that you're a human being and that at some point this is going to catch yeah. up to you. Oh, it sucks. Uh, it sucks. But, you know, like uh, anything else, um, I'm terribly uh, saddened by it. it. It's awful. I feel horrible and everything, but I've been through it before, right? So I got a little, I'm burst in it a little bit. So it's not a, a shocking. When I saw him, um, he was really bad. He had lost, uh, he had a stroke. So he uh, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't eat. He couldn't swallow. He couldn't talk. He was sitting there like a vegetable. He was, a, uh, you know, he, he looked like he was, uh, you know, a zombie. And then, there was no TV on in the room in the hospital, and like he's sitting there just staring into oblivion. He didn't know whether it was coming or going. He had Alzheimer's, going, the whole deal. And I was like, "Screw this!" So I got my buddy uh, in Pittsburgh, who was raised by you know my parents, basically. My he was my best friend my whole life. People have heard him on the show, Fuzzy, and we, uh, you know, they said he couldn't eat. So I said, "Screw that!" I went and got like pizza and wings and. Uh, he said he couldn't do this and that. I got him double shot caramel mochas from Starbucks. And then he said, they said he can't do anything. I was like, oh, yeah, watch this. My buddy pulled out his dope stick. He had, like, the liquid CBD, like, THC oil <laughs> doobies going in his mouth. <laughs> I go, Dad, just take a little, just take a little puffy. Scotty, give a, 
you you've I'm sure you've been thinking about it uh, for the last 12 16 hours whatever it's been um and I'm sure sleep has been tough so a lot going through your mind uh but what what stands out I mean do you have favorite memories what are the things that are that are coming to you that that makes you feel as cl- closest to him. him my favorite memory of him to be honest we said it last night up here with so I came to a Yankee game one day, and uh, he knew all the guys on the show, like that you knew, like uh, Lou, um, you know, Mafia, Shep, and Sizzle. And Sizzle was Rasan, and Rasan is the guy on the wrap-up show on Howard Stern. He's, he's my old producer that, uh, you know, I pretty much, you know, obviously put him on the air. No one would put him on the air. Uh, I put him on the air at Howard, and uh, he became... Uh, just super talented, funny guy. And so my dad knew him. And, uh, but, you know, my dad had some uh, Alzheimer's stuff going on, right? So in the last years of his life, he'd forget things and stuff like that. So one day we took him to a Yankee game and he came to see the guys and we met him at the, <laughs> in the Bronx. And we met like outside of the Yankee Stadium. So I took my dad and then all the guys met us like on the train. They took the train up to 161st. So we met him outside the stadium and you know, hey, look who it is. And my dad saw her son and he goes, hey, Rufus, good to see you. <laughs> I, just, I just thought that was the greatest moment ever. He called him Rufus, which was just absolutely kick-ass. If it would have been Rastus, like Rastus Hood, if you remember Tim Graham, yeah. Rastus, Rastus would have been even better. What about Rollo? We had the whole culture thing going, the one black guy with 11 white guys at the game. And he's like, Hey, it's so good to see you, Rufus. And I was like, and he meant it. Like he had no clue what his name was, and it was just so awesome. And then we were driving by a, uh, like we were driving by a mosque or something in, in the Bronx after the game, and, and like coming back into the city, and we were like at a red light, and so there was a, there was a, a mosque, and we pulled up to the street, and. Um, and he said something to all of us. We were all in the car. We packed in. We had like a bunch of people in the car, like six or seven people. And he, and there was like some old Orthodox Jewish dude walking down the street. And my dad goes, this doesn't look good right here. Run the lights. A bomb's going to go off, for Christ's sake. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, ah, these, these, these clerks and these Muslims and these, all these New York and these bombs. Get me the hell out of here. I was like, all right, Dad, you're all right. No one's going to blow up today. <laughs> like, I don't trust anybody. And those tickets sucked for the baseball game in that luxury box you took me to. <laughs> Cold popcorn, you weasel ass. Stuff like that. <laughs> Fun stuff. My dad blaming the world for everything and calling uh, Rasan Rufus. That was, I thought that stood out to me. Well, Scotty, uh, Putting in overtime today, I had no idea. Uh, I would not. Ha- I would have told you not to call, uh, of course. Uh, but uh, man, uh, well, I got to work tonight, so who cares, right? Like, that, like nobody else. Like uh, he's like, I'll never forget this guy. He's so funny, and I like him actually. I don't have a problem with the guy, but he's like, that is just terrible. You're working tonight, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll be there. Don't worry. He goes, yeah, but what about tomorrow and Friday? Don't worry, dude. I'm going to bury him Saturday. Oh, I just feel awful for you. Well, I got you covered Monday and Tuesday then, but everybody will be back to work by then. So, so sorry to hear about your loss. If there's anything I can do, let me know. I'm like, yeah, I will. Thanks.
<laughs> and then, uh, but I will say this before I leave you. Uh, I don't think uh, the Sabres got enough uh, for my liking uh, to be good. I mean, I think they have some players. I think BC can help them and get them a little bit better. But I, I think they needed to do more. I think they got some young studs. I like the, you know, obviously Eichel Skinner was a badass. Uh, I thought he really poured in a lot of goals for him. Uh, they have, you know, risked the line in a lot. I love Connor Sears. They have a lot of talent on the team. But I actually think, you know, they need more. They melted down last year after a great start. And I think, um, you know, I don't know what they did in the draft, but I thought, you know, in free agency, it, it just wasn't enough. And we are excited about the Bills because, you know, Carver Hodge, a huge Bills fan. I mean, enormous Bills Mafia fan, uh, Carver Hyde, legendary. And he is, uh, like, violently supporting the Bills uh, to go, you know, with six wins. Everyone said they couldn't win six games. And now he's shooting for the stars, going for a eight or nine win season with Josh Allen. And we're big Josh Allen fans on the bench. And we, we're going to root for him to just swing it and run and, you know, get decapitated and everything else. We just think he's just a ballsy player. So we're hoping that... Uh, you know, they have a great season up in Buffalo. Scotty Farrell has no off switch. The man's I'll father died last night. He's calling into some two-bit radio show and and does and and gives it a full effort and uh, and makes it a point to to force in some Sabres and Bills talk at the end. Right. Scotty, get back home and have about five or six good cries. All right. And uh and uh, and soak it in, and uh, I say this, and I think you know, as a guy, uh, as a guy who's all about emotion and feel, uh, absorb the pain, feel it, and then uh, and then do what you do, uh, because uh, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that therapy it might be behind the microphone for the next few days. And uh, yeah, they don't like uh, therapists. Don't like me. Make them feel weird. Anyway, I love you, Timmy Graham. I'll see you. Love you too, Scott. Thanks for coming on, man. Condolences on your dad. Well, that was something. We are down a commercial break, right? Yeah, we'll make it up. Let's do this. We're we're like in that that stern philosophy, right? We just keep going. Yeah, yeah we got a lot of. All right, unpack let's here. take a break. <laughs> okay. We'll come back. We'll wrap things up and uh, call it a day. Uh, you know, I think Scott Farrell's interview was more interesting than O.J. Simpson. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We're going to talk about it's it. It's radio. And I you know that I actually put in a request today, and it would have been something else. I couldn't pull it off, but I, I had a request in with <laughs> today with Ric Flair. Could you imagine? Epic. Well, I'm glad we didn't get the boring guest that I suggested. Holy smokes. <laughs> All right, when we come back, we'll uh, we'll get into everything on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270. The fan wrapping things up here with Jonah Bronstein at LeBronstein. You can follow him there, and you can purchase the name if you're interested. Yeah, you can also purchase the account. How many followers? You know, something like two thousand. <laughs> Any merchandise? There is that website you can go to and find out how much it's worth. Oh, hang on, I'll do it. Although, at LeBronstein should be worth a premium to the fashion designer right, LeBronstein. Like when you squat on a website, the name matters more, I think, than the following. Actually, right. I don't know. Maybe I don't want to sell it. I'd like to keep my social media following. I just, if you want to call yourself LeBronstein, I'll give it up and go back with my original name. Sure. 
there should yeah you should reach out to those people i think that might be worth it uh, in what language all right you are worth english 286 dollars oh i'll take that doesn't seem right because if there's a famous person they probably didn't equate that put that into the that seems high. Chris Baker's here. You can follow him at Sabres Prospects. We were talking quite a bit during the show about what the Sabres have done in the draft, at development camp, in free agency. A very busy time for somebody with the Twitter handle at Sabres Prospects. Yeah. This was, uh, yeah, it's like we're, everyone in the hockey world now goes on vacation. And I think that's kind of where you, you, where you might be at also, Mr. Graham. I'm heading there. Uh, we're going to be doing some best of shows throughout the month of July. Um, we wanted to do a live show today and I wanted to bring in, uh, you know, some notable guests and, uh, I think we accomplished that. Can you imagine if I'd have gotten Ric Flair? That would have been oh, something. Hey, dude, that listen, yeah, Flair would have been finale. Good. Flair would have been still good. Gary finale though for the season. Oh, I'd, I'd handle this. Uh, you know, I, it's, uh, you know, it is tricky to have OJ on. I mean, let's face it. I'll tell you what he was, he was actually pretty eloquent and I learned something about football. I remember it actually brought me back to growing up and did it. He was a, well because he was a broadcaster, you know. Like in my see, I have no I don't record. have any. I nope. didn't grow up when he was a player, but I remember him as a broadcaster. Yeah, I don't. And think it kind of brought back either. memories to those days. O.J. Simpson. Yeah, it. Um, you know, it's <laughs> when it, he started following me. I was one of eight accounts that he followed, and one of only three human beings. Mm-hmm. The other two human beings being his son and his attorney. Uh, a lot of people were reaching out to me and, you know, what is this? Uh, how does this feel? Uh, other journalists uh, tweeting at me, sending me direct messages, texting me. And uh, I would say that it's just been a pretty crazy relationship that I've tripped into uh, after uh, a challenge from LaShawn McCoy is how it all started. LaShawn McCoy and his naivete one day at his locker stall, I was talking to him about running in the snow at that overtime game. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh, Snowvertime, as yeah. I called it. Indy. Against the Indianapolis yeah. Colts, and LaShawn McCoy had a big game. And um, I was interviewing him a few days later about what it takes to run in the snow. Do you have to change your stride? Some people are just good at it. And one of the all-time great bad weather runners was O.J. Simpson. And in talking to uh, LaShawn McCoy, he says, oh, well, well, what did O.J. say about it? And I said, I started laughing and I said, well, O.J. doesn't do any interviews. And he says, well, and he looks at me in total sincerity and says, "Well, well, why not? And I was like, well, the whole double homicide and uh you know he was currently i think he burglary was, he was fresh out of prison i think in nevada for the uh, the armed robbery thing and uh and i and so i explained that and i'm kind of explaining it to him like don't you understand this yeah. right and so he's looking at me and still same expression on his face LaShawn mccoy says yeah so and so the bill's pr executive uh, derek boyko who was standing at, uh, who was standing nearby says, if anybody can get OJ, it's Tim. Now, he was saying that, I think, to kind of wrap it up. No, or... I think he was saying it to try to let LaShawn McCoy know that Derek, like, it was just, it was a nice thing to say. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it was just a nice thing to say. Like, re reaffirm your credentials. Your yeah, credit right. It's like, oh, if anybody like, can. Tim knows. And as soon as he doing. said that, and uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking when Derek Boyko says this. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. And so then the very next game, 
I'm walking up the tunnel. Uh, LaShawn McCoy has just finished in his uh, post-game news conference, and we are now walking up the tunnel. We just happen to be walking side by side. And he says, uh, uh, you're going to get that OJ interview, right? <laughs> and it was kind of like a challenge, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, let's, let's see what can happen. And it was months. It was months. But that's how it all really? began. That's how it all began. And then I got the sit-down interview with O.J. Simpson in Las Vegas uh, uh, a year and four months ago or so. Was that long ago? Yeah, it was about a year. Wow. I think it was last March, maybe. No, that sounds right. I just can't believe it's been that March, long. March of 2018, something That's like that. That sounds right. Uh, in the spring. But anyway, and it's just been... He doesn't. Um, he doesn't have relationships with journalists anymore. And there was an Associated Press uh, reporter based out of Los Angeles who, um, who he did have a relationship with that I don't think he does anymore. So it's just kind of strange how how this all unfolds. Well, Tim, to be fair, from a, a non-journalist perspective, I, you you don't come off. Your personality doesn't come off as a journalist, and I, I think that's obviously why you're successful with radio, TV. That, but. What do you mean by that? I mean, you not to put you on the spot. No, no, I'm, I'm for the sake not of the conversation. I thought I thought about it a lot. You're very conversational, but you you're a good listener, and I know that's kind of cliche. But well, you, shouldn't a journalist be a good listener? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the other journalists that you are the other journalists you're mostly exposed to are Jerry yeah. Sullivan and Bucky Gleason. Right? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> comparison. No, but you know <laughs> what I mean. I to be fair though, I have I grew up around Buffalo. That's really all I you know that type of journalist I do know but it's it's just a, you have a very unique style your approach to stuff and and I know that's a cliche thing to say a good listener but it, he sounds like a guy that just needed to be listened to and and I th- I think you you strike that chord with people. I think what where I have excelled as a as a writer is I have a natural curiosity I think I'm just naturally yeah. curious I yep. I want to know I, there are people, and that's what I, I kind of framed that one question to O.J. Simpson. Regard, I know that there are people who don't want to hear the answer to this question or don't care what it's like for you to, to talk football because no, nobody wants anything good for him. And I understand that sentiment. I, I'm not offended by that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I'm just naturally curious. I want to know what it's like in, to be O.J. Simpson. Mm-hmm. I want to know – I would like to – you know what's I try to, and, and here's something too is that, that I've I kind of I've gotten some flack for some let's see some r- trivial things. There are a lot of Bills fans out there who have a passionate loathing. Oh yeah, for Aaron oh, yeah. Maben. Oh Maben. Okay. I went and did a story on Aaron Maben about the artist he was, about how he just didn't love football, and that's yeah. not his yeah. fault that the Bills drafted him and gave him all that money. Right. Um, a guy who I get a lot of pushback for the stories that I've done, he's sat right in the seat that you're in, Chris Baker, is Michael Caputo mm-hmm. came in and did a story he, because right. uh, he's on WBEN and he's considered, uh, you know, right wing Republican yeah. and a Trump, you know, so close to Trump. And yeah. I've had people say, how can you be friends with him? And I wouldn't say that I'm friends with him, but I have a professional relationship. Yeah. And it goes back to kind of what I w- was saying when OJ was on and where I do take honor in the fact that. When I deal with somebody and you make yourself vulnerable, yeah. which Michael Caputo did with me, I, I did a TikTok of, of when he went in, uh, to Washington D.C. in front of the uh, congressional, um, the uh, the well, it was the uh, yeah the 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 committee for uh, shoot, I can't remember what the committee, but when he was uh, the interrogated by. At, by Schiff and and yeah, oh, okay. the yeah, investigation yeah, yeah. Yeah. for the you know Russian involvement in the elections. Mueller, 
Uh, but not no, not the Mueller investigation. Oh, it wasn't Lo- for that. It was different. It okay. was there. Congress mm-hmm. had its own. Got it. Got it. Got uh, but anyway, I did That's that important. story for the Buffalo News, and he opened his life to me, and I stayed with him, and I was in the car with him on the way to the Capitol, and I was involved and in privy to some meetings, and uh, stayed at the house that he stayed at, and yeah, it was so. And to have him come away with that and saying. <clears throat> That it was a worthwhile experience for him, that he didn't yeah. feel like he got stabbed in, in the back, that I didn't burn him, that I didn't double cross him. Mm-hmm. You know, so there wasn't a hidden agenda. No, I just wanted to tell the story. I wanted to hold up, you know, uh, you know, and, and try to. Well, that's yeah. what you were there to do. I'm there to tell a story, you know? and I don't mean yeah. a story of a fictional story, not a partial or a narrative. Yeah. No, I yeah. want to. That's what journalism's about. Mm-hmm. So if O.J. Simpson's following me on Twitter, I, is it a badge of honor in a in a social media or a pop culture setting? No, it's not a badge of honor. But in terms of my profession, the fact that he trusted me because he had to have some blind trust. He'd never met me. Right. Uh, and Bottom that goes is, with anybody. You're not going out to dinner with him. No. You're not going to have beers <laughs> well, with him at Elmo's. And that's the point. I don't too. have my arm around it. I'm not being right. posed for photos with exactly. my arm around it. Exactly. But is that not the. But people th- would think that, though, because that's how crazy. Sure. Society like now I'm friends. Say, isn't yeah. that the culture we're yeah. in now that you can't separate somebody's political or social thought process? No, that's the most from... annoying thing about social and media. It, True. Right, exactly. And, you can't separate. Yeah. I, I've no Tim, how long have I known you for? We've. How long? Three years. You know what I mean? And we've barely ever talked politics. We talk music. We have, you know what I mean? It's just like there's there's certain things that people can't separate. And that's what great journalists do. Well, thank you for saying that. You know what I found was interesting? And it's, it's, it's a sports thing, too. And we see it all the time. You know, the uh, the fans who have a hatred for the New England Patriots mm-hmm. or whoever, the Jets. Yeah. Um, that, But as soon as that game's over on Sunday... The Bills and the Jets and the Bills and the Patriots or whoever the opponent is are in a so got a group of guys in a prayer circle. You got another five or six guys exchanging jerseys, posing for with their arms around mm-hmm. each other because they went to college together or they were belonged to some offseason workout camp. Yep. Uh, they don't care nearly as much as the fans do. And I thought it was enlightening. So when I was following around uh, uh, Michael Caputo for that story, the the Sunday uh uh, there was a Sunday show, mm-hmm. uh, the the ABC version of whatever is oh, Meet whatever the Press. Meet the, yeah, yeah. Um, Stephanopoulos probably show. Yeah. You're no, it about wasn't this whole him. House Judicial Committee stuff, but right? he yes, yeah. And okay. so he's uh, he's a guest on the show, and uh, Adam Schiff was there. So it's a green room with Adam Schiff, who was just questioning him, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Caputo, uh, the EPA. A guy who got fired or resigned because he was taking private jets or flying first class. Do you remember him? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Yeah, uh, yes, I do. So, and he's there, and I'm sitting in the green room with all these guys, and the jousting, the the like the familial. They they were talking to each other and joking around, and I think that there would be like there are Bills fans or or Jets fans who would be disgusted at the idea of a jersey swap. These guys are talking about regular stuff, like regular guys talk about. Even though That's the thing. And it's I, like and sports I was, fans fight in the stands because yeah. of like different jerseys and right. stuff like that. And here's yeah. a guy who was just getting interrogated <laughs> by this other guy, and they're talking about, I don't he's, even know what it was. He could go to jail. Yeah. yeah. And they <laughs> were like, hey, man. Fancy him for prison. Fancy right, to yeah. see you. And he's like, yeah, yeah whatever. How's your kids? It's so good. And then as soon yeah. as the light switches on, he's got his things he's got. He's uh, supposed uh, to say on camera, yeah. and then the uh, you know has to defend himself. But then, no, it's like, yeah. It's 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 interesting that uh, you know what what 
the the what the dynamics really like versus what I think people assume it is or Absolutely. or what they want it to be. It's I part of think, the show. Well, I, I think there are a lot of people out there that would want me just to walk up to Michael Caputo and kick him in the nuts. Yeah. Because that's what they think you. But I've been to Michael Caputo's home. Michael Caputo let me into yeah. his home. We've had beers together. We've right. had Chinese food together, yeah. and we, but we not we're not. I mean, you're not confident. I think the OJ right. thing. It's not like a, so. My my take on the OJ thing is like it's unique access and it's interesting professional access. Yep. And I'll tell you what. In terms of my lifetime, there are very few moments that you remember where you were when you saw something happening. Like that whole slow Bronco chase that yeah. whole thing. Yeah. I was graduating from high school. Twenty five years ago. When I was what, graduating last from week high school, or the week before. June twenty right? second probably. Yeah. Right? I Something think like that. So. Right before I was born. Um it's it's a huge moment in our lives. And now it's unfortunate, obviously. It's a crazy, unfortunate right. moment. But, but it's I a think chronicle. it's great. I think right. see for looking at it through the lens of a journalist, which, you know, I'm looking at it through Tim's lens. I think it's unique access. I just I don't know. I don't see how if people understood it from a professional perspective, I think they'd be envious and love to have that story, love to have that inroad and that angle. And not to have that sound like your your uh, <clears throat> lack of a better term, whoring yourself out, like oh, I do this for that, because that's that's not it. it. It's the access, like you said it, and it's not even access the way people think of it now. Like oh, he's gonna let me talk to him. Tim it's, gets the ability to tell a story exactly, out of it. Exactly, that's it, it. He gets to talk to somebody that you get to talk. Sorry, I don't know why I'm talking like you're not here. You get to talk to somebody <laughs> like like it's you, yeah, I'm you know. My- like I'm at my funeral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tim was pretty good, wasn't he? He did a good job. Well, you're and, not going to be here for a couple of weeks. And Maybe not, it's like a funeral. And also, it shouldn't be, uh, you know, and there's people out there who have a, dis- a distaste, uh, you know, it's, so it's not just, uh, you know, people who maybe you're a Democrat and you don't like Michael Caputo or you um, or you think that O.J. Simpson should never be heard from again. Mm-hmm. And I understand that sentiment. Uh, but it's the same as the story I did on the former Bills who are dealing with dementia, Al B. Miller and Harry Jacobs, and their families let me into their house to tell that story. They left, they made themselves vulnerable for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had to show trust in me and a feeling like you're not going to get burnt. Uh, Ricky Williams, uh, the the Dolphins running back, had me into his home. Uh, you know things like Kyle, the Kyle Ocposo story, yep. the Daryl Talley story. Oh, so man. it's not just about all right, I'm just going to try to sensationalize, uh, you know, I'm going to... F- Exploit. Yeah, well, I'm just going to, I want to... Uh, no, you're building up currency I'm gonna with link- each of those experiences right. to maybe spend right. at a, on a And I hope people understand, I hope that people understand that. I think they do. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I... They don't maybe want they to. Maybe they don't. Right. They, some people don't some, want to. You're right. Some That's people don't want to. Some people just, you know, don't don't understand the role of, of you know, uh, of access. And exposing something that people might be curious about. That was a good double header, though, of interviews today, by the way. So Pharrell was awesome, and he's always awesome. And I listened to him when he was on Sirius, and I've listened to his show on. Yeah, CBS. by the way, so my dad died last night oh, while I was on. I the air. saw that, by the way, this when um, when I came in here, and you mentioned we we're gonna have him on. I was like, oh great, I just seen what he was up to. Yeah, I saw that. And I we started talking about something else, but I probably should have fired a little warning <laughs> shot your way. My bad. No, but, it's all right. I was up last night. I'm, I'm on deadline for a story. I'm writing about another guy who's made himself vulnerable mm-hmm. to me, uh, Lex Luger. Ooh. Um, he's been through a lot of stuff. I mean, Miss Elizabeth died right next to him yeah. in, in their townhouse while he was having an affair uh, on his wife and his two children who still don't talk to Well, there's it's complicated, but yeah. I'm getting into that story. But I was able to... Uh, 
well, I don't want to give too don't much. Don't give it away. I don't want to yeah. give up too much because there are some things in the story that if people are listening to this show, uh, whether it be live or, or on the podcast, which will be available on iTunes uh, and SoundCloud, I'll, I'll tweet it out uh, afterwards. Uh, I don't want them to, uh, you know, uh, start making some, not that they'd have the access or the, the, the wherewithal to do it, but there are some people who are interviewed for this story who have never been interviewed mm. before. Mm. And they do have a concern that once news gets out that they are, have decided to speak with me, that um, that other people, then the vultures will start oh, circling. And right, so right. I don't, I especially don't want to tip off that I've talked to these people uh, bef- I would even before put this I write in the, the podcast. Story. Let's edit this out. Yeah, we'll no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy <laughs> with. I'm, ple- I'm, I'm proud of myself. And that's the thing is, I, you need to approach people with a, a certain respect and a decorum, and to say, "Look, I would like for you to share your side of the story," and um, and it's a, and so that I, I guess that's how, I guess that's how I get some of these interviews, but. Yeah, Bobby, very nice of you to say what you did regarding uh, that you don't think of me as like a... Yeah, I'm not a journalist who... Didn't, I don't demand accountability. Yeah, I'm not... I don't come at a situation to say I am owed this. Right. And there are a lot of journalists who do. Oh, yeah. I am owed this information. I am owed this access. Mm-hmm. You owe it to the fans, therefore... I And I am the conduit, therefore it must come through yeah. me. Um, and I think that there are a lot of uh, journalists who... Uh, it, it's uh, it's self-defeating because then they get less access. That's been the biggest that um, thing about social media. The biggest negative thing about social media since the advent of it, maybe 10, 15 years ago, Twitter, is that we never knew the personalities of these people that we read. And man, oh man. That's true. There yeah, are that's some right. jerks. Yeah. There you are would... some J-offs. Yeah. You can say I... jag-off, I'm sure. Uh, there are some yeah. There are some. Jerk offs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so how many different that um I never would have known that that's who they were in real life. Some fist humpers. Some, some, <laughs> but but I mean that's part of it though, you know? And you see the entitlement, you see the attitude, you oh, see the politics. God. Absolutely. And it's it kinda just sours you on it. You know, and I've been in a little bit of a maybe a unique position with what I do is that I've forged relationships with a lot of these people and part of my whole model was to work in concert with them and you see how right. They just are, and it's just, man. You know, I liked you better yeah. when it was just your little picture on a piece of uh, newspaper. Right. And I never knew how you were. It wasn't the actual right. You know? Yeah. Who, what do you knew? What did you know about Larry Felzer? I knew he had, he had great hair in his old age. <laughs> well, you know what I mean, but I. <laughs> that's all right. He had a nice helmet. Yeah. But I, but I didn't know anything about him as a human. You know. But I bet you, man, if he was on Twitter. You know, I wonder if it would have been different. Probably not. No, but a, a, a guy like Larry Felser is probably a bad example because I don't. I wouldn't s- suspect him to be a guy who. I'll be, I'll on be honest with you. It's like Harrington on Twitter, man. I would have. I, that was the most enlightening thing as a. Uh, I, I don't. I don't want to get you going down that road, Tim. Trust me. But it's like you know, he he's an example of like because he was also very active, a very active participant in social media. Yeah. But I remember he had this little dorky picture in the Buffalo News with his tie on and his glasses and a smile, yeah. and he just looked like a. What a nice then, guy. Yeah. But, you know, and I, listen, I get along with Mike, believe it or not. Like, we, you know, like, I know not everyone in this room may. Well, like we were talking about. But you can about. have a professional relationship with him. Yeah. But, uh, you know, on Twitter, he's just a completely, yeah. like. Oh, it's a, it's a different, different it's a different world. And I, I yeah. do get well, along I, I with think Mike it, I think it I choose does, to. Man, and we'll, we'll yeah. leave it yeah. here. But I do think it bleeds back into his writing because now he, he writes as though he's defending what he said on Twitter 
and mm-hmm. you can when I do read his stuff uh I can I can tell that he is he is hearing the voices all right yeah. it's going yeah, he's yeah, hearing yeah. the yeah. voices of his antagonists in his head as he's writing he's writing for his antagonists I was just bringing he's not that up. writing yeah. he's not writing to be informative or entertain he's he's writing to uh to wag a finger, yeah, to, I, to show you, and I, I shouldn't have brought him up as an example, so I'm sorry that I did. But no, it was, but it's the great, but, it's the perfect it's, example. It is, it is an example because it's like yeah. me. Yeah, you could probably use me in as a, as an example. I think there are if I was never on social media, hell, I, people might treat me like I was uh, gay to lease or uh, or uh, I'm trying to think of another like feature writer who people don't know anything about, Tim Layden. Yeah. Who uh, yeah. mentioning him because he just uh, announced yesterday that he's leaving Sports Illustrated? Um, maybe they'd view me as just this this feature writer, roving guy who doesn't you know. But I, yeah. I don't have a lot of. Uh, I don't. I don't. Well, you could also say about anybody else on social media. I real. I've gotten to a point in my life where I don't care what people think yeah. of me. Yeah. Um. But then again, I'm also. Uh, I'm not. I'm not speaking for an entire organization every time I tweet, yeah. or or a business. So okay, so I'm gonna switch gears on you real quick before we put a, a business ball on this bad boy. A business that's desperate to not alienate people. So can you tell the listeners? So you're not going to be on the air in the next couple of weeks. You have a story you're going to wrap up. Maybe move on to another one. Mm-hmm. What is what is your summer? Going to get a dog. Getting a dog. Getting a dog <laughs> for a the first time. Summer. I haven't had a dog uh, since before my kids were born. So uh, they're old enough. 15? I haven't had a dog for 15 years. And so my kids are now old enough to, that they can take care of it. And uh, I think every house should have one. And so, yeah, I think in the next uh, couple of weeks, I hope my kids aren't listening because I want it to be a little bit of a surprise. Yeah. But uh, they're not listening. I know my son's not listening because he's got his headphones on right now and he's uh, in front of PlayStation 4. Uh, my daughter, she's probably not listening. No, either. no. It might be on in the house. No, though. they're having dinner. The radio show might be on in the house. <laughs> I was, I was going to make a... Nah, oh, yeah, you know what? Go no, they're but, not. No, they're not. No. In fact, you know, we got to get out of here. My son oh, has a baseball yeah. game. He oh. is not in front of the PlayStation. Well, so, so you're getting a dog and you're going to be watching baseball and you'll be back... Probably and, training camp, maybe? Yeah, I think, you know, training camp. We'll, we'll give you a hard and fast date. Also, keep an eye out on Twitter for the Make-A-Wish event. And I need to talk to Make-A-Wish. We may be having some uh, issues, some logistical issues, but I have accumulated some incredible auction items. Oh. And if there's no event, we may have to do come up with maybe some creative way to get these items auctioned off. But I'll be uh, noting all of that on, like the radio uh, on show? Twitter. I I'll think that we, yeah, we can salvage an event somehow. I think so. We have creative ways. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you stay with us, we went over time. This is something that we might actually get around to doing a little more often. Um, it would, the only exception is when we're up against Syracuse basketball, right. local, local, uh, because local. we have the because uh, we have uh, we're the uh, Syracuse affiliate here in Buffalo. Uh, so uh, sometimes we feel the need to go over, and we will, like we did today. Thanks hey man, for have listening. Have a great summer, Tim. Have hey, a great you summer. too. I have a feeling you're not gonna uh, th- that we'll see each other. Yeah, maybe in a couple hours. Probably in a few let hours. Alone, uh, all right. let alone, but, but know, can we pretend forward. here? Yeah. No, there's no illusion here. We all go our Everybody separate knows way. where to find me. All right. Thanks for listening to the Tim Graham Show, everybody on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan.